an airport. The airport wants to double the number of passengers it can process from 9 to 18 million a year. New figures show the number of part-time students enrolling at universities in England last autumn fell by more than a quarter compared with the year before. The Higher Education Funding Council for England, which published the findings, suggests some recruits may have been put off by the rise in tuition fees. Our education correspondent Luke Walton reports. A third of those in UK higher education study part-time. The sharp drop in enrolments in England follows smaller declines in previous years. Since last autumn, those studying part-time in England have been eligible for student loans for the first time. But today's figures suggest for many that didn't mitigate the impact of rising fees. Part-time students are more likely to be older and come from poor backgrounds compared to full-time equivalents. So the wider economic situation may have put some off. A Hertfordshire landlord is helping police with their inquiries by flashing up images of suspected criminals on his pub's TV. Police are hoping the initiative at the Red Lion in Stansted Abbots could be rolled out across the county, but would it put the punters off their pints? I wouldn't have any friends who were involved with the police, to be honest, so um, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I suppose I'm not really expecting to see anyone I know there, so it shouldn't make me uncomfortable. It's the same as watching Crime Watch, isn't it? So, you know, you just don't want to scream and point and go, I can't believe he did that. And would you be surprised if you suddenly saw a friend up there? I can't comment. You and Duncan in the pub there. Our sports news for you. England's cricketers have reached 267 for two at stumps on day one of the second test against New Zealand in Wellington. And the weather, hail, sleet or snow and a top temperature of four degrees Celsius. That's 39 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. You know, yesterday we were talking about bad backs and, and, and things like that, and I, I had a little gripe in my back, I think. Well, after the show, I was in agony. I was in agony. I couldn't sleep last night. I spent a large, spent a large portion of last night standing with my... No, not do, standing with my back against the wall, trying to stretch my back. I was in agony. It's all down my left leg. I think that's sciatica. I think that is, although I, I always thought that was a urine infection. I did. Turns out it's like a bad back. And anyway, I'm in agony. So if, if, if I'm not sounding focused this morning, it's for that very reason. I'm suffering for you, dear listener. Coming up on the show, lots of stuff, including a Buckinghamshire MP who will raise concerns about Buck's NHS in the House of Commons today. As you heard in the news, a pub is going to be displaying wanted pictures of very naughty criminals. And we speak to, I don't know, perhaps the world's worst driver. It's taken 25 years or something for her to pass her driving test. No, 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 too long, too long. Lots of ways to get in touch, as always. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, start your text, 3CR. Put your name on it, please. Or you can give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. Who's going to be the first caller of the day, you or him? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And here's a a cheeky little question for you. Um, If, like me, you were probably glued to the radio last night or the television listening to the new Pope coming out on the balcony. Oh, it's a new, new Pope. Hey, hey, everyone, look, it's a new... Oh, what a surprise, it's another really, really old man. And the question on everyone's lips this morning is, 
and, and this is this. It doesn't mean to be flippant. It sounds flippant. It isn't flippant. But why is the Pope always old? Why is the Pope always old? This new guy, Pope Frankie, he's seventy-six years old. The last one that's going out is seventy-eight years old. Why? Why didn't they get you know like a Richard Chamberlain lookalike or you know some young forties? Imagine a forty-year-old Pope. Wouldn't that be cool? I think we'd all go. Ooh, yeah, brave decision. Brave decision. Why is the Pope always old? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, a Buckinghamshire MP will raise questions in the House of Commons today about his concerns over Buck's NHS. He's calling for greater accountability and transparency in the NHS and will speak about two cases of two deaths in their care, one at Stoke Mandeville and the other at Wickham Hospital. Well, Steve Baker joins me now. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Ian. Steve, what are you going to say in Parliament later on today? Well, before I go on to that, can I just begin by saying we need to get this into context. We've got some excellent services in Buckinghamshire, including the cardiology and stroke units at Wickham and I've been given categorical assurances that the majority of patients are treated well in Buckinghamshire. Right. Okay, but later today we're going to be discussing accountability and transparency in the NHS. The context is the Francis report. As a result of that report into the Midstaff's hospital, um, the medical director of the NHS commissioning board is going to be investigating our health services in Buckinghamshire. Unfortunately, they've had high mortality. That's a higher number of deaths than expected for a couple of years. So Sir Bruce is going to be looking into whether there are any sustained failings. Now, this is a good opportunity for hospitals locally to reassure the public because we've had a number of problems. Uh, You asked which specifically. Well, one is Edward Maitland. Now, Mr Maitland was a frail man, unable to eat solid foods, and he died after he ate Weetabix in Wickham Hospital. His son, a paramedic had given warning that he couldn't eat solid foods. He even provided his liquid food. But after a communication breakdown, he ended up eating solid food and he died. So a nurse gave him some solid food when he was strictly fluids only? That appears to be the case, yes. Now, I'm going to be careful outside of Parliament because I'm sitting here, I'm just a private citizen with no legal rights when I'm outside the Of course. So I'm going to be very careful what I say. The coroner's report is extremely careful not to assign blame. It says that right. food was made available to him and he ended up eating it. But it, to me, the, the situation's really quite simple. He couldn't eat solids. He did end up eating solids in the hospital. It was solid food in his lungs, which led to aspiration pneumonia and his death. And I'm going to be exploring that in greater detail once I'm inside the House of Commons. And just to, to highlight, once you're inside the House of Commons, of course, and speaking, you, you have uh, slightly more protection than you do as a chap on the telephone to me. That's absolutely right, Right. yes. Within the Chamber of the House of Commons, MPs have an absolute right of free speech, which has got to be used responsibly, and of course I shall use it responsibly, um, because I am, on the whole, you know, I am confident in our uh, quality of our services locally. And you said you had another case study that you were going to be mentioning, Steve. Yes, the other one, tragically, Mr Paul Ryan, he died in an ambulance en route to have his second leg removed. He has had vascular disease. He had um, four days of GP visits. He then had a nine-hour wait in A&E. He was sent home and told to expect a phone call. The phone call never came on the Monday. Um, his wife asked, should she call a, a rang, rang the hospital? They didn't know about him. Should she call an ambulance? They said, no, call the, your GP. The GP referred them to an ambulance, which took two hours to arrive. And then, tragically, Mr Ryan died on the way to the hospital. Now, his wife's explained that post-mortem, it seems that it, he could not have been saved anyway but really this this sort of catalogue of 
misdirection and mismanagement just is totally unacceptable. Um, and it, it plays... We've had other issues, two issues, where people have been incorrectly or failed to be referred from the minor injuries unit in Wickham across the road to cardiology and stroke. So we have excellent units. The challenge is that if people do turn up under their own steam, they need to get across there. But this, these three cases then are connected mm. by this problem of getting people efficiently to the excellent services that we have. Stephen, you head of uh, CQC uh, uh, recently been appointed. Do you think that that's going to help the situation? Well, I've just seen Jeremy Hunt yesterday, and he'll be speaking today, and I know that Jeremy is putting an enormous amount of effort into the CQC to change it, to make sure that it's much more able to give us reassurance on the quality of hospital services. The Prime Minister's sent Sir Bruce into a range of trusts, including our own. We're currently going through a process of making sure that our assurance about the quality of care is much, much better, and that includes reforming the CQC. The Mail are reporting today that gagging clauses on whistleblowers are going to be banned. So I'm sure Jeremy Hunt will talk about that later. But, you know, we've, we've got to get to a point where the NHS is transparent. All too often I have second-hand... Um, accounts of things that are problems. I can't do anything about them second-hand. So I just really welcome this opportunity the NHS has locally through Sir Bruce's investigation to properly reassure the public about the quality of service locally. Steve, I appreciate you coming on uh, th- this time in the morning. That's Steve Baker, Buckinghamshire MP. He'll be raising uh, questions uh, in the House of Commons today over his concerns over uh, Buck's NHS. And you heard there a couple of um, quite uh, powerful Case studies. I hate to use the word case studies. It dehumanises them slightly. The, the people who have been uh, severely damaged by uh, potential failings. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you've got uh, an account of something that happened to you in a hospital, give us a call. And also, the main thrust of the the show today is why is the Pope always so old?
Uh, BBC Three Counties Radio 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Why on earth is the Pope so old? 76! Yeah, I was listening on the radio last night and it, 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 it is amazing how um, commentators are so good on TV and radio at talking about nothing. Imagine describing a crowd in Rome for an hour because that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing, describing a crowd. Incredible! My friend said, whoever describes a crowd for that long deserves to be Pope. They're so good at it. But, but then the Pope has, the new Pope has stepped out onto the balcony and he, he really does look very serene. He looks like a man who's at peace with himself and with God. There's, and there he is, smiling now, and it really is a very serene... Oh, for goodness sakes. For goodness sakes. Why is the Pope so old? Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five, six, fifteen. Well, she's back. Let's hope she's feeling well. It's Sophie Tyler with the Jam Cams. Beds, hearts and bugs travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. We're not looking too bad out there at the moment. All moving fairly nicely on the motorways. M25 in particular is looking good heading down the western stretch and the M1 moving nicely as well. Now the usual delay is not yet causing too much of a problem. Looking good around the North Orbital Road and the trains and the tubes also looking good on the departure boards this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, you're okay. You you sound... You weren't with us yesterday. You sound... Well, you do. You sound awful. What's wrong? (laughs) I don't know, I just can't seem to shake this sore throat. But I feel guilty being off work ill, so I thought I'd come back in today if it well, was okay. We had that we had Adam on yesterday and he was I've gotta say, you know, he was excellent. <sighs> pressure. Under pressure. Yeah. Speak to you in a little bit. <laughs> Morning, it's 6.16. It's uh, Thursday, the 14th of March. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham is set to raise serious concerns about standards of care in Buckinghamshire's hospitals later. Catholics around the world have been welcoming the election of the new Old Pope. In sport, England's cricketers have reached 267 for two at Stumps. <laughs> I don't know what that means. On day one of the second test against New Zealand in Wellington. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Hail, sleet or snow and a top temperature of four degrees. Coming up, imagine you're in the boozer having a crafty pint when suddenly a photo of one of your friends flashes up on the big screen labelled as being wanted by the police. Well, if you're visiting a certain pub in Hertfordshire, that could happen. 
We'll find out more before 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer, across beds, hearts and bucks. This Friday I'm live from Bletchley Park. I'll be taking part in the Enigma Challenge, finding out about the history of the park and why it was so important during the war. Nick Coffer. There'll be a little bit of light comic relief, music from the three bells, and I'll be getting crafty with threads and patches. Nick Coffer. Live from Bletchley Park, Friday from midday. BBC Three Counties Radio. the 80s. Let me take you back to the 80s when it was acceptable. It was acceptable to make a motion picture about a gentleman falling in love with a computer because that's what Electric Dreams is about and also it was acceptable to make a a, a film about two teenage lads who make a really sexy woman out of a computer. Weird science. The 80s were a little bit rubbish really weren't they? But this song's brilliant. Uh, If you want to give us a call 08459 455 555 
wonder, I've never actually seen Electric Dreams, the movie. I wonder if, if um, my local Ritz video has it on, v- on VHS, because I'm going to go and check it out. Weird Science, on the other hand, is a downright classic. It's a classic, very very raunchy. I remember watching it as a 15-year-old boy, I think, whoa, very raunchy movie. The 80s were raunchy. Now, imagine you're in the boozer, having a cheeky pint, or maybe a Cinzano. Do people still drink Cinzano? I don't know if anyone does anymore. Uh, or hooch, if you're, um, you know, younger than 20. And a photo of one of your friends flashes up on the big screen, labelled as being wanted by the police. Well, that could happen at a pub in Hertfordshire. The Red Lion pub in Stansted Abbots is one of the first venues to be involved in this new scheme. Well, our reporter, Ewan Duncan, caught up with two locals in the pub yesterday and asked them what they made of it. I think it could be quite useful, obviously, if it helps with crime. I suppose I'm not really expecting to see anyone I know there, so it shouldn't make me uncomfortable. What would happen, though, if you did see a friend on there? I don't know. It's the same as watching Crime Watch, isn't it? So, you know, you just don't want to scream and point and go, I can't believe he did that. So, yeah, I don't know. Would it be a bit of a shock? It would be a shock, yes. What about the fact that they can advertise local events and what's going on at the pub? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And there's, like, pictures up at the moment about, you know, food, etc. And I think, yeah, that, that does generate interest. And also when competitions and things. So, yeah, I think it definitely, it, it's engaging. Do you think people will take notice of it, though, or will they be preoccupied with what they're doing in the pub anyway, eating and drinking? Well, I think the food is really good here, so it's quite easy to be distracted, and the portion's quite big, so you can spend a lot of time looking at your plate and sort of being quite focused on that. I suppose there are those who'd argue that the police side of things is an infringement of civil liberties. Would you agree with that? Perhaps, but it's no different to it being Crime Watch. I'd just say it's probably a bit depressing, really, for me coming out for a pub lunch and sort of being reminded about crime. But otherwise, I don't think it's any different to Crime Watch, is it? And it's an effective way for businesses to advertise? I think um, possibly, you know, yes. I mean, I'd say, yeah, if I saw some things that were for the home, you know, um, that, that I would think it would be, yeah, potentially useful. Yeah, but I love the fact that it's advertising the food and, and stuff like that. I think that's useful just to, you know, give me something to think about and thinking, oh, I'd quite like to try that. How about you? What do you think about it? I totally agree with my friend. I think it's quite important um, that we have these visual aspirations on that we can actually look at. I'd probably be more interested in handbags and shoes, though, up on the screen, but obviously it's always worth supporting the police. And I think they're putting up some people that are wanted, but also some important safety messages as well about how people can look after their property. Do you think that's something you want to see in a pub? Yes, I think anything like that that helps us to be a little bit more secure in our homes and anything like that will really help. And I suppose it's often easy to leave something in the car when you dash out for a drink. Yes, it can be. Well, luckily I've, I've had it happen to me before, so I'm very cautious about that sort of thing. But it would help other people, I'm sure. And would you be surprised if you suddenly saw a friend up there? I can't comment. <laughs> <laughs> That laugh goes on just a little bit too long. You know when someone laughs, you know, it's... Oh, that was Ewan Duncan in a boozer. Well, later on, we'll be talking to the landlord of the Red Lion at Stansted Abbots and to, uh, Stansted Abbots and to Hertfordshire Police in about an hour's time on the programme. I think that... I'd love to be in a boozer. I don't go to pubs anymore. I'd love to be in a pub and on the screen. Wanted in your area. And then criminals come up and stuff. I like that. I used to love Crime Watch. I used to Sky Plus Crime Watch. Or video it. I used to video it and uh, watch it the next day. It was like a kind of scary... It was like a, a horror film, but real. Horror film based on a true story. That like Amityville. Let's have a look at the front pages of the newspaper, shall we? The Independent. Conflict in Syria creates new wave of British jihadists. Over 100 UK mis- Muslims thought to have gone to fight in conflict. 
uh, an outcry at Prince's Saudi visit as seven are executed. Prince Charles will be flying into a human rights controversy when he touches down in Saudi Arabia tomorrow after seven men were executed in public yesterday despite concerns about the safety of their convictions. And there's a, a picture of the, the new Pope. Doesn't he look serene? Doesn't he look at one with God? The nonsense they were coming out with last night. On the, on the, um, I was listening to it on LBC. Oh, the rubbish they were coming out with and, and watched a bit of it on BBC Two or the BBC News. Oh, dear. He's 76 years old. He's Argentinian. We've lost the Falklands. That basically, that's what that is. Say goodbye to the Falklands, kids. It was nice while it lasted, wasn't it? We have to hand them back now because the Pope wants them back. The Times, a new world Pope. The first Pope from the Americas is to model himself on St. Francis of Assisi. James Bone reports from Rome. An Argentinian cardinal who claims that the Falkland Islands were usurped by Britain was elected Pope last night. Bye, Falklands! Bye, Falklands! Thanks very much! Uh, A Muslim peer blames Jewish conspiracy for jailing him. A Labour peer who was jailed for sending text messages shortly before his car was in a fatal motorway crash has blamed his imprisonment on a Jewish conspiracy. Lord Ahmed claimed that his prison sentence for dangerous driving resulted from pressure placed on the courts by Jews who own newspapers and TV channels. Maybe it's because of the car crash and him sending texts. I don't know. I I don't want to jump to conclusions. Maybe it was because of that, as opposed to a a Jewish conspiracy. Hey, look, the new Pope on the front of the Telegraph. Pope Francis the Humble. Uh, We failed to get to grips with ageing, ministers told. Well, they haven't in Rome. Look, they've got a 76-year-old as leader of one of the biggest religions in the world. Britain is woefully underprepared to cope with the sharp increase in the number of pensioners, ministers are warned today. A report from the House of Lords says that the elderly uh, should already be concerned about their treatment in an NHS that's struggling to cope with their needs. What a juxtaposition of stories regarding age there. Ah, uh, the Guardian. It's the Pope again. It's that crazy Pope. He's everywhere. Buenos Aires, Pope Francis. Dazed and amazed in St. Peter's Square. <sighs> it's a, the Pope's everywhere. This is a better picture. How did the Daily Mail get this picture? All of the pictures are l- looking up at the Pope. The Daily Mail has got a picture from behind the Pope. Which one of those naughty cardinals was tweeting? Which one of those cardinals... Oh, this is, hang on a minute. He's not looking. I'll have this. After uh, and then... After mail campaign, Health Secretary bans gagging orders and hospital staff. Victory for NHS whistleblowers. Gagging clauses which have prevented hundreds of NHS whistleblowers speaking out are to be outlawed. Uh, the Daily Express, a little bit on the Pope. Arthritis, new jab to fight the pain. Single treatment will help millions. The, the, the Express seems to have found a cure for arthritis, Alzheimer's and cancer pretty much every day, really. And the sun... Uh, holy smoke! New Catholic chief, hand of God. Argentinian is Pope Francis the first. The new Pope waves a blessing over Vatican crowds after his election last night sparked ecstasy in his homeland, Argentina. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Very simple question: Why is the Pope so old? Why is the Pope so old? I know it's kind of you, you have to progress through the you know it's 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 a promotion, isn't it? But get a forty-year-old hot Pope. That'll get people interested in religion again. It's the Travel News Now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Well, still not looking too bad out there at the moment. The motorways are still moving very nicely on the sensors. Looking good as well in the usual trouble areas. No problems on the North Alter Road or around the A421 eastbound at uh, Buckingham at the moment. Now, don't forget, in Milton Keynes Village, the A4146, that's Tongwell Street, is closed due to ongoing resurfacing work just at the moment, just around at Lindisfarne Drive. Everything else, though, not too bad at all. Trains are still moving nicely on the departure boards, as are the tubes. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. It's nearly 6.30. Let's get the latest news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. The MP for Wickham is set to raise serious concerns about standards of care in Buckinghamshire's hospitals later. Catholics around the world have been welcoming the election of the new Pope. And campaigners will gather outside Luton Town Hall this morning to protest against airport noise. Beds, hearts and bucks, sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's start with rugby. Bedford beat the army by 43 points to 29 in last night's Mobs Memorial match in Goldington Road. The Blues, who fielded Saracens flankers Jacques Berger for one half and Andy Saul for the other, ran in seven tries and landed four conversions. They led 26-0 at half-time, but the army hit back with five second-half tries and two conversions themselves. Earlier, the East Midlands beat the army 18-28-8. Arsenal have been knocked out of the Champions League on away goals by Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich. Mikel Arteta says the side must now concentrate on qualifying for next season's competition. That's a priority for us. We can't win any trophies this year. That's that's finished. That's a year now. It's too much. But the minimum target we can ask for is, is to get qualified for the Champions League. Jonathan Trott hit an unbeaten 121 as England's cricketers reached 267 for two at stumps on day one of the second test against New Zealand. Trott says his performance in Wellington this morning was needed following his poor batting in the first test. I'm always disappointed when I don't get in and, and, and get runs at, you know, on offer. Um, you know, if you get a good ball, you can't really be too upset about it. But you know, I felt I pretty, pretty much got myself out in, uh, in both innings. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important not to be too hard on yourself, but you can't be, you know, too soft and say, well, next innings I'll get runs. You've got to, when you get the chance, you've got to take it. And finally, Andy Murray will play Juan Martín del Potro in the quarterfinals of the Indian Wells Masters Tennis after he beat Carlos Berlock in straight sets, 7-6-6-4. During their match, Berlock complained to the chair umpire that Murray was taking too long between points. Murray responded by complaining about his opponent's grunting. When it's consistent, you know, you can kind of get used to it, but when it's kind of coming from being silent to then an extremely loud noise and it's carrying through until you're hitting the ball, uh, that's when it gets a bit too much. And that's your latest news in oh. sport. <laughs> I know. Oh. Oh. Yeah, oh. it is a bit off-putting. Is it, is it off-putting? Fair, yeah. well, that, 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 you, you, that will put you off. I was just testing the theory. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit... OK, well, we won't do that again. <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. Over there, that's Oh, Justin. for goodness sakes! Let's try that again, shall we? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. If you're playing tennis, though, someone going, it's hardly, you know, there are worse things, aren't there? If you want to phone up and give us your your best tennis grunt, 08459 455 555. I want to hear your tennis grunts this morning, please. And what things put you off when you're at work? Because if, if someone grunting, steady, is enough to put you off, 
from your really well-paid job where you get to go around the world and not do a lot, then... Do you know what I mean? I I could work through that. Give us a call now. I want to hear your tennis grunts and the things that put you off at work. 08459 455 555. Other things coming up between now and 7 o'clock. Night flights are being discussed and protested against uh, Luton Airport. Older drivers and drivers that have taken a long time to pass their test. And nappies. All that and more coming up. 08459 455 555. Now... Campaigners will protest today outside Luton Town Hall against plans for increased numbers of night flights out of Luton Airport. The airport wants to double the number of passengers it can process from 9 to 18 million a year. But people living near to the airport are unhappy because it could mean more noise and night flights. Well, our reporter Justin Dealey is in Luton this morning. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello Ian. I'm actually in Flamstead with uh, Andrew Lambourne, who's from a campaign group, and already the car is surrounded by angry protesters who are going to this meeting a bit later on. Now, uh, a few moments ago, a plane went over, and this is what it sounded like. So that gives you a bit of an indication in. Would you want to, to go to bed or wake up in the morning with that sort of sound? Well, do you know what, Justin? I've just moved house, and I've moved very close to an airport, so I do have that sound. Yeah, that was your choice, I suppose. It, and it was it was my choice. Um, but, I, yes, I can understand why people would be disappointed with that. They are disappointed. They will be protesting a bit later on. Joining me live here in our radio car is Andrew Lamborn. Andrew, you're from a campaign group. Tell us the name of that campaign group, please. No More Night flights.com is a place to go to find out about this issue which is affecting all the people around Luton Airport and of course you know the airport was here after the people Luton was here before airport was built and the people in South Luton are affected tremendously by these night flights I just played in a brief clip there of a plane what's it like living here forget about any expansion plans right now what's it like to live here in your home in Flamstead well to take an example last night I was just getting off to sleep around about midnight plane goes over Toss and turn a bit afterwards. What happens 50 minutes later, another one goes over. Now, we're not as badly affected as Stevenage, Breachwood Green, Luton, Caddington. They're on the, fl- the arrival and departures path. The planes are much closer there. What the airport's planning to do is to potentially double the number of flights at night. And that means, you know, right up until midnight, there'll be planes. From 5 o'clock in the morning, there'll be planes. And if Luton Borough Council doesn't put in some planning controls, they're effectively saying... You've only got five hours sleep. Okay. now the airport aren't coming on the programme today. However, they've sent us a statement and they say there's a lot of misinformation about this. They say if expansion did go to 18 million passengers, uh, the flights between 10 and 12, well, that will go from 25 to 45. So not quite double. Damn it. That's almost double. And for as far as people are concerned, you know, you get a flight, it wakes you up, what happens, your sleep's disturbed, and the World Health Organisation has shown that causes serious health problems. Is that why you're wearing your dressing gown this morning here and it's freezing cold? We're wearing our dressing gowns to make the point that we want to protest and we want people to come out and help us protest against this plan to double night flights. So you're all going to be in dressing gowns today outside Lucenborough Council saying enough is enough, we can't take this anymore. Some of us will be in dressing gowns worth coming to see. Come to Luton Town Hall at 12.30 today. You can wave a placard and at the end of the protest we're going to pop our balloons just to make the point that we want this night flights thing brought under control. We're not completely anti-airport. We use the airport. What we need is planning controls put in place by Luton Borough Council as part of the process of determining this planning application. 
Okay, lots of placards here. Can you uh, tell us uh, tell us about the placards first of all, guys? Hang on a second. <laughs> One second. Tell us about the placards first of all. Okay, we've got some placards here, and they basically make the point: we want no more night flights. How do we get it? By regulation, by planning controls put in place. This airport has no planning control whatsoever over its flights. Mm, I'm sure if the airport were here, that they of course would say something else. So they're not here at the moment, but you've got some challenging for us. Go on, then, guys, take it away. No more night flights. How do we get it? Planning controls. And we're going to pop our balloons to make the point. Thank you very much indeed. There you go. Uh, radio cars surrounded by people with placards, wearing dressing gowns, um, chanting uh, things which are going to be chanted later on outside Lutonbury Council. So it's going to be an interesting day, I think, Ian. It's catchy. It's very mm. catchy. Mm. Uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second, Justin. Mm. Well, as I say, I've just moved to an airport, uh, very, very close to uh, to a bigger airport than, uh, than Luton Airport, and I have lots of night flights. I've been there three weeks. I've already tuned out... The aeroplanes. I don't notice the sounds of the aeroplanes now. Can they, can they not? Don't you just learn to tune it out? Just me just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, no, so it's a fair enough point. Andrew Ian's saying here he's moved near to an airport and uh, the flights that are going over at night, he's now tuned himself out of that. He's got used to it. As somebody who's lived here for a number of years and you're very proud to live here, can you not just tune yourself out of that? You ask somebody who lives in Breachwood Green or Luton that same question. What about you, though, here in Flamstead? You can't tune it out. You know, they affect you, and in fact you get sensitised to it. You know, the World Health Organisation knows what they're talking about. I think this guy always says this kind of thing, and, you know... He's making a point, though. He lives near an airport, like you, and he's saying he's tuned out. Yeah, but he says he wants to live near an airport because he likes aircraft noise. But he's still saying that he's tuned out. No, he didn't say I like aircraft noise. We haven't. So you can't do that? Absolutely not. OK, there you go. Absolutely not in. Didn't, I didn't, didn't say I liked aircraft noise. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Excellent stuff. Where are you off to next, Justin? I'm uh, going to be off to uh, meet a lady who's uh, in her 40s who has finally passed her driving test. First time, I believe. Uh, something like 150 lessons. <laughs> I'm going to be in her car. It may be the last time I ever broadcast on Three Counties Radio, so I'm oh. off to meet her after seven. Well, we've been trying to get rid of you for a long time, Justin. Today may be the day that we achieve it. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Just playing in bit of a devil's advocate there with the whole uh, flights thing. I, I, I have managed to tune it out. Let's put this out there, shall we? Do you live near an airport? Have you lived near an airport? How did you cope with the noise of the aeroplanes? Did it drive you mad? Or after a couple of weeks did you go, oh, the aeroplanes? Oh, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't noticed. Let me know. I, 08459 455555 Well, no one told me about her, the way she lied. Well, no one told me about her, how many people cried. But it's too late to say you're sorry. How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her. She's not there. Well, let me tell you about the way she looked. Should I care? Please don't bother 
one of the things that really gets my goat, I don't know why that's even a phrase, but apparently it is, is people who take driving test after driving test after driving test before they pass their... I've said this before, if you take five tests or more, well, you shouldn't be allowed to drive. You're not good enough. You don't meet the standards. Well... There's one woman in Hertfordshire who would completely disagree with me. It's taken 25 years for her to pass her test. Alex Smith, who lives in Stansted Abbots, has had seven instructors, over 150 lessons. Well, she passed on her first test, though. Well, later our reporter Justin will be taking a spin with the lady herself. But we can speak to Stephen Dodd, the instructor who succeeded where all others failed. Good morning, Stephen. Hello, dear. What, what happened? Why, why did she take so long? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think she started in 1988 at 17, and I think she moved around the country a little bit, taking on various instructors, and uh, it's just taken her to, to this point in time where she's now taken it on board and passed, so good for her. So she, did, did she, she's had, she passed on her first test, did she? Yes, she did, yes. But why was she so nervous about taking her test in the first place? Well, do you know what? I don't know. I mean, I'm always up for a challenge. She phoned me up uh, out of the blue, September last year, um, and just straight away said I'm an extremely nervous person. And yeah. uh, she did. She told me that before every lesson, before she came out the front door, tears of frustration would build wow. behind her eyes and uh, there's a sharp intake of breath and then off we went. So, And then I think she was really pleased when she got out of the car um, and finished the lesson. So it, it, it was a struggle for her. Should someone like that be allowed to drive, Stephen? Absolutely, absolutely. We've all got our things that we've got to get up and over, and, uh, you know, driving on the, on the roads these days is an easy thing, and uh, she wanted her freedom, her independence, and there it is. She's got it. She's earned it. She's earned it. What did you do as a driving instructor to, to help calm her down and make her feel more comfortable? <clears throat> well, just very understanding. Mistakes happened. I think we got too close to a hedge once, and I lost my near side wing mirror um, with her. Uh, just the glass, mind you. The, the yes. casing stayed intact, but uh, it's okay. It's all part and parcel of you know, the learning to drive things. So. Well, listen, we're sending um, our driving correspondent, Justin Dealey, out for a drive with uh, Alex later on. Mm. Is he going to be OK? Of course he will, yes. You yes, sure? Yes. No need for crash helmets or elbow pads. He'll be fine. OK, well, Stephen, listen, thank you very much indeed. That's uh, uh, Stephen Dodd, who um, managed to guide Alex Smith through her first, her one and only, her singular driving test. Took her 25 years, though, to build up to that test. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. A couple of things I'm asking for today is I want your tennis grunts. Can you find up and give us a grunt? Ugh! I was a bit more of a James Brown grunt than a tennis grunt. And also, what things irritate you at work? Andy Murray is irritated by those grunts. What irritates you at work? There's a few things here at BBC Three Counties that irritate me, I'll tell you that for sure. No names, no pack drill. Here's the travel news, Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Beginning to look busy now on the A405 North Orbital Road, just approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Usual delays for this time in the morning. Everything else not looking too bad on the whole. The M25 is moving well down the western stretch. No problems on the M1 and the M40 also looking good as well on the uh, speed sensors at the moment. Now the uh, trains and the tubes are both still looking good on the departure boards at the moment. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Morning at 6.45. It's Thursday the 14th of March. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham is set to raise serious concerns about standards of care in Buckinghamshire's hospitals later on today. Catholics around the world have been welcoming the election of the new Pope. 
In sport, Andy Murray beat Carlos Belloc in straight sets, 7-6, 6-4 at the Indian Wells Tennis, despite complaining about the Argentinians grunting. Coming up, we're talking nappies. Would you opt for washable nappies if the council said they'd give you cash back to do so? Well, that's what Bedford Borough Council's promising. We'll find out more before 7. 08459 455 555. Let's get the latest weather now. Here's Elizabeth Rosini. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, a very good morning to you, Ian. It's a bit of a windscreen scrapey start to the day. There is some, There are some very low temperatures out there. Minus three, minus four degrees Celsius at the moment. We've got across much of the three counties. So a very cold start. There's some mist patches out there as well. They should lift and clear quite nicely into the morning. In fact, a nice crisp way to start the day. There's some decent spells of sunshine, some blue skies through the morning um, after that mist clears. Now, temperatures should rise nicely to between around five and and 7 degrees Celsius, actually, that's 45 in Fahrenheit for St Albans, for Luton, Stevenage, Milton Keynes and Aylesbury as well. So it's not going to be a bad-looking day. Certainly, we've lost those hefty showers from yesterday. We might just see one or two light showers in places. They could even turn a bit wintry over the higher ground in places too. But, but generally, not a bad-looking day. Just turning a bit cloudier into the afternoon. The sunshine a bit hazy, particularly across parts of uh, parts of Bedfordshire, I would say. Now, into this evening, we're going to see a few changes um, it is going to be a much milder night. The cloud will start to increase and we'll see a few outbreaks of light patchy rain by dawn tomorrow. We'll start the day off tomorrow with a big hike in temperature actually up to 2 or 3 degrees Celsius so a lot milder than it is at the moment and then tomorrow lots of thick cloud around outbreaks of patchy rain that will turn heavier as we head into tomorrow evening. The weekend is looking a lot milder. A strong southwesterly breeze at times and a few outbreaks of rain particularly on Saturday but it's all going to get cold again into next week. Sorry about that, Ian. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. You can listen to BBC Three Counties Radio in so many different ways. On FM. 95.5. 103.8. And 104.5. On AM. 630 and 1161. Online at bbc.co.uk. Slash Three Counties. And on DAB. Digital Radio. Retune your digital radio now and look out for BBC 3CR. Bringing local radio to you in in more more ways ways than than ever. ever before. BBC Three Counties Radio.
Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. Old Popes. Grunting. And what irritates you at work? Those are all the things you can call it. You can call it about anything, but those are just some, of the, some ideas. You probably want to talk about this as well. But all parents, would you opt for washable nappies if the council said they'd give you cash back to do so? Well, that's what Bedford Borough Council is promising. Their nappy cashback scheme gives parents £25 back once they've spent 50 quid on washable nappies to help save the environment. But would that be incentive enough for you to try it? Or is it all too much hassle? With me now is St Albans' mum, Chrissy. Morning, Chrissy. Morning, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm okay, thank you. And Eve Bell, who started online cloth nappy company, Babamboo, have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. Hi, morning. Eve, why washing nappies? Are they really better for the environment? Definitely. How? Well, the UK for around two billion disposable nappies into landfill each year. It costs ten, the UK taxpayer 10p for each disposable nappy. That's £10 million a year. But also, who wants uh, all that them nappies going to landfill that take 500 years for each nappy to decompose? Well, yeah, but who wants to, to put a filthy nappy in, and, and boil it and clean it or put no, it in the washing machine? Right. It's just a myth. It's just an urban myth. That's what mums used to do 30 years ago. These days, it's just put it in a nappy bucket. You can't smell it. In a nappy it's, bucket? Yeah, just a nappy bucket with a lid. So instead of going to the bin... You put it in a nappy bucket, put it in the washing machine, along with all your other nappies. One extra wash load a week. It goes in the washing machine, it comes out clean. No no boiling, no Ooh, scrubbing. Hang on a minute. I'm not having a bucket full of dirty nappies in my house for a week. Well, you don't smell it. It's just it's just the way it is, but you don't smell it. It's the same as what you, when you walk past a bin. It's the same as that, really. Yeah, been filled with... Now, Chrissy, what, what do you think to washing nappies? Well, um, I don't want to advocate either way, really, but when your team contacted me, I thought it was quite an interesting question because um, when I was pregnant, I did the buying the uh, cloth nappies. There was an incentive from the government. I can't remember how much it was. I think it was a bit more. But to be honest, after about a week, I'm a working mom. I went back earlier than I expected. I just found I couldn't keep up with it and expecting my childminder to um, scrape nappies, put them in a bag, give them back to me and wash them and do all of that. And they just weren't drying. I was just having to put them on radiators and to be able to have a couple of cycles worth. So you're going to need about seven a day, six, seven a day and about £12 each. Well, but uh, Chrissy, Eve, Eve is saying that, that, that there's no extra work. There's no, that, that it's one extra load a week. I had to disagree because you were washing them daily so that you then ended up having another set. So if the council gives you £25 to buy some, I did a quick look. I mean, it's been about five years for me. Yes. Uh, that'll buy you two nappies. Well, it's not like that now so much. It, you could buy a set of nappies, at 20 to 25 nappies for about £200. The laundry over the, year, over the years of your baby beading in, in them is probably about £50. So... It's about £250 versus about £1,000 that you might spend on disposables over the time before your baby potty trains. I was reading an article last night. It was a bit out of date. And again, I'm not advocating either way. I just thought it was a really interesting question. I bought the cloth ones because I just wanted to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But after having a quite a good discussion last night on Twitter, if people start using their tumble dryers, that actually makes them less environmentally friendly. Oh, definitely. Than... I totally agree with you there. But, yeah. I mean, I'm not advocating my brand above other brands but there's definitely brands out there that my my nappies come out the washing machine and they need an hour's dry on an era they dry really quick that's the whole benefit of them 
So there's some there's some that take you know twelve hours to dry. Where there's some. That it's convenience though, isn't it, Eve? Because uh, listen, I got two boys. One of them's still in nappies, and uh, it, it, you know, it, yeah, it's all well and good getting a, 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 a nappy that you, you don't throw away, but. Just when you're out and about, you want to put a p- pair of pull-ups on and just just get on with it. You can't spend time messing around. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you get used to it, to be honest. It's 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 same as Chris says. I'm not advocating, advocating it either way, but even if you had two, it does help your purse and it does help the environment. We're not... I don't think it's all or nothing. Even if you just had two or three just around the house, just to wear when you, you know, you're using them around the house. But not only that, they look so cool. They don't... They're not just... They're better than uh, the look of paper nappies, as, as my customers call them. So, um, yeah, I, I can see where a lot of people are coming from. It's just about breaking down those stigmas, really. There are some companies, aren't there? I remember uh, when we had our first lad and we, we had um, some uh, people in our NCT group who were desperately trying to get us to use reusable nappies. And there are some companies where they, they drive round and collect the nappies for you. That's, that can't be environmentally friendly. Yeah, no, that's like a, like laundry companies that do that. They have their own sack of nappies and then they drop them off and pick them up. So it depends, each to their own, really, you know, but I think if, for example, when your baby's born, if yep. you had to buy your nappies outright and you had to hand over £1,000 for 7,000 nappies, disposable nappies, or you had to hand over £200 for gorgeous fluffy nappies with a guarantee that you could fit them into your life, I think there'd be a bit more, hmm, I might try them. Eve, thank you very much. I'd never go, ooh, about a nappy, but I take your point. Eve Bell from uh, Babandibu, thank you very much. And St Albans' mum, Chrissy. What do you think? 08459 455555. Excellent stuff, the Beach Boys. 08459 455555 is the phone number. 
Let's get the travel news now, shall we, with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting to look fairly busy now on the M25 anti-clockwise. It's heavy around Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield and heavy again between 21 at the M1 and 19 at Watford. Speed there down to around 20 miles an hour and also very heavy again between 17 at Maple Cross and 16 at the M40. Now heading south on the A1 at the Barnet Bypass it is still queuing at the moment between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. Usual delays there and also heavy on the A405 North Orbital Road just approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Trains and tubes are still looking good at the moment. No problems to update you with there. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, thank you very much indeed. Don't forget you can give us a call at any point during this show about any of the things we're talking about. 08459 455 555. Coming up in the next hour, an MP has concerns about local hospitals. What do you think? Are you happy with the hospitals and beds, hearts and bucks, or are you a little bit worried? We'll talk more after the news with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bucks talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headlines, Wickham MP raises hospital concerns, protesters step up airport noise campaign and the pub helping police with their inquiries. BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham is set to raise serious concerns about the standards of care in Buckinghamshire's hospitals later. Conservative Steve Baker will call for greater accountability and transparency when he addresses the Commons. Mr Baker told Ian Lee he's speaking out in light of the recent Francis report. As a result of that report into the Midstaff's hospital, Um, The medical director of the NHS commissioning board is going to be investigating our health services in Buckinghamshire. Unfortunately, they've had high mortality, that's a higher number of deaths than expected for a couple of years. So Sir Bruce is going to be looking into whether there are any sustained failings. The Argentinian Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio will celebrate his first Mass as Pope today as he assumes leadership of Roman Catholics across the world. From Rome, our correspondent James Robbins reports. Pope Francis wakes this morning to a life utterly changed by the choice of the conclave. But it will be some of the first choices he now makes which will suggest the direction he hopes to set for the Church. The new pontiff must appoint the most senior staff who serve him at the Vatican. That offers the opportunity to reform a bureaucracy tainted by scandal. Pope Francis will return to the Sistine Chapel this afternoon, scene of his election, to celebrate Mass with the Cardinals. On Sunday, as Pope and Bishop of Rome, Francis will deliver a message to the faithful in St Peter's Square, ahead of his formal installation Mass on Tuesday. Campaigners are set to protest later outside Luton Town Hall against plans for increased numbers of night flights from Luton Airport. The airport wants to double the number of passengers it can process from 9 to 18 million a year. New figures show the number of part-time students enrolling at universities in England last autumn fell by more than a quarter compared with the year before. The Higher Education Funding Council for England, which published the findings, suggests some may have been put off by the rise in tuition fees. A Hertfordshire landlord is helping police with their inquiries by flashing up images of suspected criminals on his pub's TV. Police are hoping the initiative at the Red Line in Stansted Abbots could be rolled out across the county. Our reporter Ewan Duncan asked punters whether it would put them off their pints. I wouldn't have any friends who are involved with the police to be honest so um, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all I suppose I'm not really expecting to see anyone I know there so it shouldn't make me uncomfortable it's the same as watching Crime Watch isn't it so you know you just don't want to scream and point and go I can't believe he did that and would you be surprised if you suddenly saw a friend up there I can't comment (laughs) 
in sport, Andy Murray will play Juan Martín del Potro in the quarterfinals of the Indian Wells Masters Tennis after he beat Carlos Berlock in straight set 7-6-6-4. During their match, Berlock complained to the chair umpire that Murray was taking too long between points. Murray responded by complaining about his opponent's grunting. The weather, hail, sleet or snow and a top temperature of 4 degrees Celsius, that's 39 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. How happy are you with the hospitals and beds, hearts and bucks? One local MP is concerned and is raising his concerns in the House of Commons later on today. A local pub will be advertising wanted people on a huge screen in their pub. How would you feel about that? And there's a new Pope. I don't know if you heard the news. Why is the Pope always so old? You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a cheeky text if you want. 81333. Start your text 3CR. And as always, do put your name on it, please. Or, look, the entire switchboard is free. Why don't you give me a call now? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Also, miserable tennis player Andy Murray has been moaning again about his opponents. This time, the grunts are too loud. So two things. I want to hear your tennis grunts, please. And also, what puts you off at work? I mean, if you're a millionaire tennis player, and the, the, the worst thing that happens is someone going, oh, oh, then, you know, you've got life quite easy. What puts you off at work? Maybe it's an irritating person you sit next to who eats their food all the time. Maybe it's Justin Dealey. Oh, did I just give out what, what irritates me at work? I can only apologise, sorry. 08459 455555. A Buckinghamshire MP will raise in the House of Commons today his concerns about Bucks NHS. He's calling for greater accountability and transparency in the NHS and will speak about two cases of deaths in their care, one at Stoke Mandeville and the other at Wickham Hospital. Well, earlier this morning, Steve Baker, MP for Wickham, said there has been a high number of deaths in Buckinghamshire for the last couple of years. Now, this is a good opportunity for hospitals locally to reassure the public because we've had a number of problems. Uh, You asked which specifically. Well, one is Edward Maitland. Now, Mr Maitland was a frail man, unable to eat solid foods, and he died after he ate Weetabix in Wickham Hospital. His son, a paramedic, had given warning that he couldn't eat solid foods, He even provided his liquid food, but after a communication breakdown, he ended up eating solid food and he died. Well, well, Julie Smith joins me now. Her mum was discharged from Stoke Mandeville Hospital with dementia in the middle of the night, wearing just a hospital gown. Morning, Julie. Good morning. How old was your mum when this happened to her? Uh, She's 85. So, tell me what happened. Well, she was admitted on the uh, late evening of the 12th of January... Um, with breathing problems. Um, after sort of doing a medical over her, um, at 2 o'clock in the morning, they decided to discharge her without calling me, and they put her in a taxi and sent her home. Um, the taxi driver couldn't find where she lived, so I was called and asked um, whereabouts it was, because mum was confused because she's got dementia. And... Um, they, I directed them to where they were. I paid them over the phone with a credit card, and the, the taxi driver assured me that she was 
in indoors. Um, but at six o'clock, I, I've later found out that um, she actually was sitting in the lobby. The, the taxi driver had just dumped her oh. in the lobby, in the hospital gown, with no coat, nothing. Um, and she was obviously freezing cold. Um, so they took her in, the neighbours, and uh, got her warm. And obviously, I then contacted Stoke Mandeville to find out what was going on, because she went in in clothes, and she came out without any. I, I don't know Mum's name, Julie. Sorry, what's her name? Oh, it, her name's Phyllis. Phyllis Phil- Collins. So Phyllis, and does she live? She lives in a care home, does she? Um, no, she lives in um, sheltered accommodation. Okay. What did you think when you got the phone call saying, uh, "Yeah, got, got your mum in the back of a cab. We don't know where she lives. Can you tell us?" What, what, did, what was your first reaction? Well, firstly, it was like I was annoyed with. Well, actually, I had phoned Stoke Mandeville because I hadn't heard what was going on. I had phoned Stoke Mandeville, gave them my details, said, "Do you want me to come over?" Because I'm like twenty miles away, and they said, "No, no. We've obviously got to do all the medical checks." So I, at two o'clock, no, three o'clock, I hadn't heard anything. Mm. So I phoned them up and said, um, you know, can you tell me what's happening with Phyllis Collins? And, oh, yes, she's been discharged. And I said, no, 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 you, you, you can't have done it. How did she get home? Oh, we put her in a taxi. And it is on CCTV that she was there in the waiting room waiting for a taxi to come and fetch her. So I was absolutely, obviously, fuming to think that my mum had been discharged without the hospital contacting me to let me know... What was going on with her? You know, I was waiting to see whether she was being admitted or and nothing. So I'm sat here like a lemon, if you like, waiting to to, to sort of hear something and, and nothing. And so I rang them up. I made a complaint. And, I'm, and at the moment, the complaint is, you know, under investigation. Um, I'm trying really to think how I would feel if, 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 that, if I found out my mum had been uh, kind of d- discharged yeah. like that. I'd be furious. Well, I was, because I, I say, I, it wasn't as if they didn't know that I had contacted them, given them the, giving the reception um, my details, and that would you please call me, because mum doesn't know what tablets she takes and what illnesses she's had in the past couple of years that might be affecting the dementia and things like that. And so they had no excuse whatsoever not to contact me and say, well, we want to discharge her. Then I could have made arrangements to obviously get her home safely and back into her flat. I don't drive, as I say, so it would have been like wake my husband up or I would have got a taxi over there to pick her up and take her home, one or the other. I mean, I mean, she was discharged from hospital again last week. She was admitted on Wednesday of last week at Stoke Mandeville again, and um, they discharged her again at half ten at night. <laughs> they did it again? Yeah, they've done it again, yeah. And what, what, what did you... <laughs> What did you well, say luckily, to them then? Well, luckily, my son, who is um, in the ambulance service, he was on his way home to Aylesbury, and he thought, well, I'll call over um, and just see how Nan's getting on. And they said, oh, good, we're glad you've turned up. Um, she can go home. There's nothing wrong with her. But they want the doctors wanted her in a place of safety because she seemed to have lost the plot a little bit on her dementia. Um, wasn't quite safe to be on her own um but so my son had to drive all the way back from stoke manival to woodland green to then go home to aylesbury at half past ten at night julie do you think that stoke mandeville hospital is struggling to cope yes definitely i think since wickham has been closed um 
They've, I mean, they've closed down every single service virtually, and there's nowhere for the elderly in High Wycombe, so they're being... I, I spoke to one of the sisters because mum hasn't got a bed table to eat her food off of. She has to eat off of her lap. And I asked one of the sisters and the nurses, and they said, oh, well, we're a 21-bed unit, and we've got 22 beds on the go at the moment, so we haven't got a table for her. Which, again, I think is poor dude. She's 85, she's got dementia, and she's given her dinner to eat on her lap. You know, so they are obviously struggling. What do you think could be changed, Julie, to to make things run a bit smoother and to stop this happening again? You know, I just think with a town the size of Wickham, with the amount of people we've got, or elderly people we've got, I think we we should have an elderly unit at Wickham. There's all those empty beds, there's all those empty wards. I'm sure they could find staff and things to to open an elderly unit because it's a long way. Again, my mum doesn't understand why I can't get over to see her every day because she doesn't understand that she's in Stoke Mandeville, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of other old people with, you know, that are in that position. I mean, surely we can have an elderly unit here in High Wycombe. I mean, we, you know, we're having to find mum a home now because she's not safe to be left alone. Um, and you just think, it's a shame when you see her, she's just so sad. Mm. And, how, how, um, how, is she, how is she doing now? Is she, is she yeah, I mean, deteriorating? Medi- medically, that she's okay. It, it, um, it is the dementia that has kicked in big time at the moment. And, um, I mean, even to the point yesterday, we felt that they'd possibly drugged her because she was very sleepy, very submissive, whereas over the last few days, she's been quite dominant. Um, I mean, they were going to discharge her again on Friday after she's been admitted um, but we had to ring her GP and get them to, to talk to the hospital and say no you cannot discharge this lady she needs um, to be held for her own safety so at the moment yes she's, she's very low but we're going to look at a home today that uh, we've been advised about and uh, we're going to see and if it's good we'll get her out of there because the rooms are, are so drab and boring there's no view there's nothing to stimulate her you know and this is what elderly people need when they've got dementia is something to stimulate them. the nurses are far too busy to stop and chat which is what she wants mm. She wants somebody to talk to, and and they can't. They haven't got the time. If you've got 21 elderly people with dementia, they are struggling over there. They really are. Julie, I really appreciate your time. It's Julie Smith talking about her, her mum, Phyllis, and uh, their experiences of Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Julie, they're saying that, that, that Stoke Mandeville is struggling to cope. Well, what do you think? Are you happy with your hospitals in beds, hearts and bucks? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. We did speak to Bucks NHS. They've refused to come on the show this morning, but Anne Eden, Chief Executive of Buckinghamshire Healthcare NHS Trust, told us we strive to offer safe and excellent care to the half a million plus patients we see every year and are pleased that for the vast majority we do just that. I know we don't always get it right for patients and their families, however, and for that I apologise. Clearly it's not good enough and we must ensure that we learn lessons and take actions to stop these isolated incidents from happening again. Well, what do you think? Are we being a little bit unfair? Have you had excellent service in, you know, Stoke Mandeville or, or any of the hospitals and beds, hearts and bucks? Or are you... Have you got a story similar to Julie's where, where people were dismissed, not given the, the basic respect, I think, is the, the thing that's lacking in the story there. 
85-year-old woman with dementia being forced to eat her supper off, off her lap? That's just a tiny thing. That's... It's disrespectful, isn't it? 08459 455 555. I'd like to hear your stories uh, around that. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. It's coming up to 7.15. Let's get the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. No major changes out there at the moment. Anti-clockwise on the M25, still heavy around Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also slow as well between 21 at the M1 and 19 at Watford. Uh, again, still slow where you'd expect between 17 at Maple Cross and 16 at the M40. And heading south on the Barnet Bypass, also queuing between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. And again, very slow as well on the A405 at North Orbital Road, just approaching the M25, Junction 21A roundabout. Everything else not not looking too bad at all at the moment. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Morning, it's 7.15. It's Thursday the 14th of March. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham is, to, is set to raise serious concerns about standards of care in Buckinghamshire's hospitals later on today. The Argentinian Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio will celebrate his first, it's close enough, will celebrate his first Mass as Pope today as he assumes leadership of Roman Catholics across the world. In sport, Oscar Whiskey and Rev de Siviola are among the favourites for the world hurdle on day three. Oh, they're horses. <laughs> they're horses. Okay, right. Uh, the Cheltenham Festival. I think Oscar Whiskey, these footballers, they do get silly names, don't they? The weather today for beds, hearts, and bucks. Hail sleet or snow and a top temperature of four degrees coming up imagine having a pint in your local when suddenly a photo of one of your mates flashes up on the big screen being labeled as wanted by the police well if you're visiting a certain pub in hertfordshire that could be happening we'll find out more before 7 30 bbc three counties radio Tackling your consumer problems. On BBC Three Counties Radio. My son took it to, back to the, the garage. The mechanic says, yeah, I know what it is. So they took it in, done what they had to do, and the car was still the same, still doing the same thing. The JVS Show. Fighting for your rights. The long and short of it is, he agreed that he would replace the car. If you have a consumer problem, we can do the same for you. I'd like to thank you and your team for everything you've done. We wouldn't have got where we got without you. It's a pleasure. I'm going to call that a result. Any other problems, you know where I am, Stuart. The JVS Show. Fighting for your rights. Weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. You can give me a call as well, 08459 455 555. Keen to fight. Andy Murray has complained, okay? The millionaire tennis player, Andy Murray, has complained that uh, his uh, opponent's grunts uh, uh, have uh, uh, annoy him so much and put him off at work. So I'm asking you this morning what annoys you at work? What anno- I tell you what annoys me at work is quite often when I sit down... At the- we, we, we all hot desk, which is one of those lazy, made-up terms that means no-one's got a desk, so you share them with everyone else. And when I sit down at a computer and someone hasn't logged out of the computer, it really narks me. It really annoys me. Just log out of the computer. Because it takes me... Then I've got to switch it off... And switch it back on again. It takes me about three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes when I could be looking at eBay and fake. Um, three and a half minutes when I could be researching for this show. What annoys you at work? What annoys you at work, Stephen in Bedford? 
Oh, fools who can't um, get up out of bed early enough, can't take a few more minutes of their time to clear their windscreens. So they just say, think they'll drive along looking for a little letterbox. Oh, man alive. That's a, don't they realise it's dangerous? No, because they're, they're a bit stupid, I think. They've got to be. All it takes is you need... You get an ice scraper for three quid from the garage. Don't buy the one-pound ones. They don't work. You want three or four quid on an ice scraper. It takes you, what, a whole, I don't know, 45 seconds or something? Oh, no. That's a lot of time, though, isn't it? Yeah, time is money. <laughs> and you do... You see it a lot. You just see people driving... You're right, with a little letterbox that they're looking through. Yeah. You go, no, this will be all yeah. right. Yeah. Stephen, what, what, what do you do, then? I'm a milkman. Oh, you're Stephen the Milkman, of course. Well, listen, Stephen, yes, it's, it, we've, we've got you on the air, and it'll be churlish for me not to ask. Can you do a tennis grunt? A uh, tennis grunt, I suppose I could do. Stephen, Is that good enough? That was, it was perfect! It was, it was reluctant, and that made it even... That, that tied in with the Andy Murray theme, I think. Stephen, thank you very much. Like a good tennis grunt. I like it when the ladies... Steffi Graf was, uh, was a great grunter. Some of her grunts were world-class grunts. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. Now, imagine the scene. You're having a pint in your local. You look up, and there's a photo of someone you know on the screen, and underneath a sign saying, the police want to talk to this person regarding a crime. Well, that could happen right here in the three counties, starting with the Red Lion pub in Stansted Abbotts. Well, the landlord there is Mass Hussaini. Good morning, Mass. Good morning. So what are, you've got the screens in there. What, what are on the screens at the moment? Uh, at the screens at the moment, we've got general advertising for the pop, what's going on, and uh, various other events that's taking place. So you've you got on there at the moment, it might say, special deal on burgers, uh, get, get some free potato wedges with your burgers, we've got Elvis night coming up, that kind of stuff. That's right, exactly. But you're going to include wanted criminals on there. Yeah, it, it, this is only to help the actual actual community to just prevent crime and to make it a better place to live. Uh, we just got a few adverts at the moment. There is one there, somebody who's been wanted by taking stuff from the local uh, local co-ops. Yeah. And then we also got uh, adverts to how to secure vehicles and keep it safe and uh, various other information to do with the safety. Whose idea was this, Mass? Was this yours or the Hertfordshire Police? That was uh, Hertfordshire Police. Uh, uh, PC Dean Watson. He was the one who instigated it and who started it. So what happened? He just turned up one day and said, can I speak to the landlord? All right, sir, I've, I've got an idea. He's our local um, beat officer. He popped in for a, just a, for a chat because we were having a meeting here one day to do with speed awareness. Uh, we used the... Huh? Um, there's a, uh, one of the roads just adjacent to the pub. It's got um, uh, schools and various other things. Yeah. And uh, they just were having a meeting, and he saw the TV, and he thought, hey, it would be nice to advertise or let people know of what's going on within the, within the community. And hence, we using that to help the police and make the, uh, a better place for everybody to live. How long has this scheme been running for so far, Mass? This has been running for the past... Uh, Three, four weeks. Okay, so it's still early days. Do you know if any of those criminals have been caught as a result of your pub? No, not as yet. Oh, okay. okay. No but idea. It could, but it could happen. And what, could do the, do. what do the regulars say? Uh, they're all for it. I don't think anybody got any objection because all the, all the regulars who come here are quite decent people, uh, honest, hard-working, uh, but, 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 um, 
of people and they have no objection to it. All right, Mass, imagine, imagine this, right? You're behind the bar, you're serving a, you're pulling a few pints and you're, you're, you're doing that little um, tap thing you've got <laughs> that does Coke and, and Pepsi and, and lemonade and all that. So you're doing the drinks, right? And you just look up at the screen and you see the face of the fella that you're serving. Yeah. What, what would you do, Mass? Um... <laughs> Simply, <laughs> yeah. simply give him a drink for free and keep him here till the police get here. <laughs> <laughs> You'd give him a free drink? I'm joking. No. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I don't think it would happen. I think if he knows his face is up here, if somebody has told him, I don't think he would... <laughs> he will show his face here in the first place. And that's what, what's interesting. What I'm years since I've been in a pub. What, what I'm getting from you is that this pub is not just a boozer. That it, it's it's quite important in the local community. You, you're advertising crooks. You, you're yes. talking about speed awareness. Yes. What? Why is that? Why have you decided to make your pub so important to the community? But it, the pub is a, is a part of the community. Without the pub, people don't get to meet each other, they don't get to see what's going on, they don't get to uh, have a social life as such. It's always been, it, it has always been that. Uh, I suppose this is what the pub is all about, which recently um, is, is people, um, it is slowly going away from that. Mass, listen, I appreciate your time. It's Mass Hussaini. He's the uh, landlord at the Red Lion Pub in Stansted Abbotts. Well, we can talk now to Chief Inspector Jerry MacDonald from Hertfordshire Police. Good morning, Chief Inspector. Morning, Ian. Who, who exactly are you, you... What are you aiming to do with this initiative? Uh, send a very clear message out to people that crime will not be tolerated in East Arts. How, and how does it work? Who decides what crooks get... Are, are they all local crooks? Um, it's, it, the, the crimes will be based around what people that are wanted locally, so it's a very localised issue. So, say, for instance, if, if somebody's wanted in Stanford Abbott, I'll, you'll expect to see their photographs, or I'll expect to see their photographs in a local pub, or local co-op, or local uh, petrol station. It's a way of pushing crime down. Um, he starts to see a massive reduction, about 15% reduction in crime, um, and it's because of the number of initiatives we have and also working very closely with the community. So hang on, you're saying because of this and other, other initiatives you've got going on, you've seen a 15% reduction in crime? Yes. Well, that's incredible. What, what other schemes have you got then that are co- contributing towards this? Uh, a variety of things. It all came out. Uh, you probably remember uh, around Christmas time we had the missing man in, 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 uh, in East Arts, Mr Gwyn Morris. Yes, I do remember that, and yes. he had great relations with the community then. Uh, and we then took the learning from that, and from the learning from that missing person and how we dealt with the community and how we dealt with the whole scenario, uh, we're rolling out a number of schemes. They'll, they'll come through one by one, uh, but it's, it's seen us engage with people, talk to people, um, listen to what people want us to do, uh, and, and push crime down. Well, a 15% reduction, I think, would, would uh, everyone would uh, uh, applaud that. Have you had any phone calls yet from people in the pub who said, oh, I'm just watching this screen and, and, and that's my brother up there. Uh, not yet, but it's, it's one local pub at the moment, but I'll soon, I, I expect to roll this out across uh, all the towns and, and villages that I cover in East Tars, a third of the county area-wise, uh, so I expect it'll soon be, you know, the way forward. Well, Chief Inspector Jerry McDonald from Hertfordshire Police, thank you very much. It sounds like a good, a good scheme. If they're doing that and other bits and pieces and they've got the crime down by 15%, you can't knock it. And to be honest, it might get me back into pubs again. Yeah, it might do. Going to see some criminals on the telly. I, w- I would like that. I, I do like watching Crime Watch. Go- I- I- and I- I- I've watched it for 20 years, 25 years. Uh, uh, on the hope that I would see someone I know. Never have done. Very frustrating. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Andy Murray, the miserablest tennis player, uh, is uh, annoyed that his opponent in the last game was doing lots of grunts, lots of grunting. Oh, for goodness sakes, man up, Murray. It's what it's all about. The modern game is all about the grunting. And speaking of grunting, the biggest grunter there is, Dealey. Mm, Ian, good morning. Was that your grunt? Because that was very camp. Yes. Andy Murray, not happy again. Not happy. He's always moaning, isn't Sorry, he? Sorry, why did you do a Nigerian accent then? <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that for? I've been trying to perfect that all morning. Don't knock me. Don't the, bring the, me the down. Sc- the Scottish accent is one of the hardest. To, my three-year-old boy can do it because Mrs Goggins is Scottish on Postman Pat and he can mimic her perfectly. Yeah. But the Scottish accent is very hard to do. <laughs> Yeah, judging by that, yes it is. Um, The only one I can probably do, the only word is probably tear score. I can do tear score, and that's about it. Sorry, Scott. I'm going to tear score to buy some wheat tactics for Miss Supper. Oh, I reckon we should go to Scotland for the day and try this for real. Okay, the challenge is out there. Can anybody phone in and do a decent Scottish... It's the hardest accent to do. Can anyone do a decent Scottish accent? But can you... Dealey, can you do a grunt? Of course I can do a grunt. Do you want to count me down for this? Because this is going to be Radio Gold. Sony, if you're listening, employees of Sony, this could be the moment. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the countdown to Justin D. Lee's tennis grunt. (laughs) Three, two, one. There you go. How was that? That was rubbish. Do it again. Oh, for goodness sake. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I've got somebody with me here. Oh. Uh, Alex Smith. We're going to be talking to Alex later. Yeah. This is the lady from Stansted oh. who had seven instructors. Oh, be careful. <laughs> she's, she's taken her 25 years, 150 yeah. lessons to pass her driving test. Exactly. She's going to be talking to us a bit later about driving. Alex, can you score my grunt out of ten? I thought that was rather impressive, didn't you? Eight, eight and a half, maybe. Right, Justin, put, put, put the headphones on. I want yeah. Can she hear me? Uh, she can now, okay, yes. Okay, right. Here we go. This is mine. Oh! Oh, no, 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 about six. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Hang on a second. Let's get Alex to do one. Alex, can you give me your best tennis grunt? Come on. <gasps> oh, that was oh, manly. <laughs> that was very for goodness manly. Sake. I, well, listen, Justin, Alex, we'll speak to you a little bit later on. I'm not sure I want to speak to Alex now. Uh, my grunt was much better than Dealey's grunt. <laughs> oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Tennis grunts. What irritates you at work? We will ask Justin later on what irritates him. And can anybody do a decent Scottish accent? It's the hardest accent to do. It really is. Let's get the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts, and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, we have reports of expected one lane to be delayed, uh, blocked, sorry, and very slow traffic following a broken down vehicle between 16 at the M40 and 15 at the M4. Congestion is back to 19 at Watford at the moment, really adding to the delays in the area already. And heading west on the A40, one lane is closed following a broken down vehicle, again, just between the Swakely's roundabout and the M40. And also getting reports in at the moment that the A600, that's Harridan Road through Kempston, is uh, closed following an accident. Local drivers are being recommended to avoid the area and please have closed the road in both directions between Eastcots Road and the A5134 at Mile Road. Uh, bring you more on that as and when it comes in. Everything else not looking too bad. A few usual delays on the A10 and the A1, but nothing's going to hold you up for too long out there. Trains are looking good at the moment as well. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, give us a grunt. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Go, 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 try. <laughs> if I have no voice... Uh, I, I will take full responsibility and I'll pay your salary for the rest of the day. Um... Ugh. <laughs> 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 that was brilliant! That was brilliant, James Brown! 
Well, coming up, we know we're going to hear Catherine Boyle's grunt. But before, let's get the sports and the news from her. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 7.30, the headlines. The MP for Wickham is set to raise serious concerns about care in Buckinghamshire's hospitals later. Catholics around the world have been welcoming the election of the new Pope and protesters will gather outside Luton Town Hall this lunchtime as part of their campaign against airport noise. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. In rugby, Bedford beat the Army by 43 points to 29 in last night's Mobs Memorial match at the Goldington Road site. The Blues, who fielded Saracens flankers Jacques Berger for one half and Andy Saul for the other, ran in seven tries and landed four conversions. They led 26-0 in half-time, but then the Army hit back with five second-half tries and two conversions themselves. Earlier, the East Midlands beat the Army 18-28-8. Jonathan Trott hit an unbeaten 121 in Nick Crompton and made a century as England's cricketers reached 267 for two at Stumps on day one of the second test against New Zealand in Wellington. Having won the toss, New Zealand opted to field and Trot says England were pretty happy to bat first. Yeah, Alistair's probably quite glad that we, had, we batted now. So, uh, you know, each team was probably going to bowl. It wasn't a, a bad toss to lose and we had a look this morning and uh, as I when I walked past and, uh, you know, I said to, to Alistair, you know, I wouldn't mind losing the toss and getting in on that. So, uh, you know, it worked out well for us today, but we've we got to kick on tomorrow. Three British teams are in Europa League last 16 action this evening. Tottenham take a 3-0 lead to Inter Milan. Newcastle play Angie with the tie level at 0-0 following the first leg in Russia. And Chelsea trail Stour Bucharest 1-0 ahead of their game at Stamford Bridge. The Chelsea interim manager Rafa Benitez says he isn't concerned about the prospect of the tie being decided on penalties. I think the penalties, uh, it depends more on sometimes the heart and not just uh, to practice. We have enough uh, players that they can take penalties and uh, we have confidence that they will not go there. Finally, tennis Andy Murray will play Juan Martín del Potro in the quarterfinals of the Indian Wells Masters Tennis after beating Carlos Burlock in straight sets 7-6-6-4. During their match, Burlock complained to the chair umpire that Murray was taking too long between points. So Murray responded by complaining about his opponent's grunting, which I'm not going to do. And that's your latest whoa, news and sport from me at eight. Hey. No, 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 because you clip me and then stick it in all over the shop. I w- what on earth are you talking about? I don't like the way you use me. Catherine, listen. You make me do silly noises. I'm your uh, monkey girl. I'm not having it. Well, you're, you're, you know we call you monkey girl just because of the, <laughs> the hairy back. <laughs> I, I, listen, I, I, I won't clip it. Let, let's hear your best grunt. No. Are you, refu- are you refusing an order from your superior? Uh. Yeah, we got it. Excellent. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee. Suck up. On BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> it's technically not bullying. It's technically not bullying. Although imagine if we were doing that in an office scenario. Imagine we'd had that conversation in the office. Go on, Kath, do your grunting. I don't want to. Go on, do it. No, you're just going to tape it and play it back to everyone in the office. I won't. That would be, uh, that would be a sackable offence, but we're on, uh, we're on the radio. In fact, I think it's encouraged at the BBC, that kind of thing, isn't it? Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three uh, Three Counties Radio. This morning we are talking tennis grunts. We are talking uh, about the hospitals in your area. But before that, big news. The Catholic Church is a new Pope from Argentina. He's the first Pope from South America and will be called Pope Francis I. Well, just after six o'clock yesterday evening, white smoke emerged from the Vatican. It was the moment when everyone knew the Cardinals had made their choice. Well, this is our Europe correspondent, Duncan Crawford, describing that moment. 
Well, the bells of St. Peter are ringing out and white smoke is billowing from the Sistine Chapel chimney. The crowds are shouting out in joy. People are jumping up and down because a new pope has been chosen, a successor to St. Peter the Apostle, a new spiritual leader for more than a billion Catholics around the world, a leader of the church and its institutions, also a new leader of the Vatican, a sovereign state. This truly is a historic moment at just after seven o'clock local time, a successor to Pope Benedict XVI has been selected. Well, we can join Duncan in Rome now. Duncan, it, it was an amazing spectacle, wasn't it? It was. It was incredible to see just tens of thousands of people crammed into St Peter's Square. It had been pouring down with rain all day, so they were absolutely soaking wet, drenched. They had their umbrellas above their heads and they saw the white smoke. They, you know, cheered and they cried. And then they had this, you know, interlude where we were waiting for the new Pope to come out onto the balcony of St Peter's Basilica because he was choosing his name, he was being fitted in his papal garments. And then there was that moment, the curtain uh, on the balcony parted and they announced his name in Latin Jorge Mario Bergoglio the cardinal from Buenos Aires and his new name Pope Francis I the first time there's been a pope from Latin America the first pope who hasn't been European in over a thousand years and I think he really endeared himself to the crowds because he said I want you to bless me before I bless you and the crowd simply screamed at that point particularly the Latin Americans who were extremely excitable here's some more reaction from people last night I was speaking to in St Peter's Square it's more like spiritual. Everyone's happy and accelerated. And let's see what's going to happen to the church. I think it's a good step forward. It's a lot of uh, Catholics in Latin America, so it's good representation. I am a Mexican. For me, it's a great surprise because I never expect this kind of movement in the, in the church. It's just incredible. It's just so exciting. We ran here from the Spanish steps as soon as we heard. So I think we made it here in 10 minutes on foot. Has it, it generally been a positive reaction, Duncan? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, the reaction from people here in Rome, at least, has just been one of massive enthusiasm. I was speaking to people last night who were telling me they heard the news that the white smoke had gone off, that the uh, bells of St. Peter were ringing. They were in a restaurant about 10 or 15 minutes away and they left their food and ran down the streets still eating their food. So, you know, tremendous excitement about this appointment. He's 76 years old he's something of a surprise choice because he hadn't been talked about really that much in the build-up to this most vatican watchers here were saying it was probably going on a bit longer uh, this conclave that uh, certainly he wasn't the favorite but you know 40 percent of the world's catholics they live in latin america and numbers have been declining so perhaps that's why he's been chosen duncan can i ask you a question that you you, you may not know the answer to why is the pope always so old. I mean, this guy's 76. The one that's going out is 78. They're always really, really old. I think it's partly to do with how long it takes to work your way up 
the Catholic Church, you know, to become a bishop, to become a cardinal. All these things take a, a long period of time with a lot of study, a lot of study of theology and what have you, working in the institutions of the church as well. So that's partly to do with it. Although, you know, they could choose anyone. They don't have to choose such an old figure. There have been you know, younger popes in the past, certainly centuries ago, there were popes in their 30s, in their 40s. It's just that, you know, in modern times, in the tw- since the 20th century, they've always been quite old. Duncan, thank you very much indeed. That's Duncan Crawford, who's uh, out in Rome. And uh, whatever you think on the choosing of the Pope, it looked amazing last night. Some of the pictures from it and, and, and some of the footage, it looked incredible, didn't it? 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a local MP is concerned about the hospitals, uh, the state of the hospitals in Bucks. Steve Baker, MP for Wickham, is going to be raising his concerns in the House of Commons later on today. And I've been asking for your stories about hospitals. Are you worried about the hospitals and beds, hearts and bucks? Or do you think, well, actually, you know, I've, they've been cracking with me. They've done a superb job with my mum or my husband or with me, and I've, I've got nothing but praise for them. I don't want this to be a complete knocking. I'm, I'm, I'm keen... <laughs> I'm keen to kind of get the, the, the mood in the three counties this morning about hospitals. Well, Lynn's in Hertfordshire. Lynn, you've uh, got a story about hospital. Don't mention the hospital name just yet, no, but, but tell us, tell us what happened. Basically, a couple of years ago, I was really poorly taken into my local hospital, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, chronic pancreatitis, chronic lung disease. Now, with type 1, obviously, it's not food-related. You have to inject yourself. Five months later, oops, sorry, you haven't got either of those things. Oh. Well, so I've injected myself for five months with insulin. So they, they'd misdiagnosed you? On three conditions. Well, well, how did you feel? Did, did they explain how they misdiagnosed you, how they made such a big mistake? No, because they don't come back to you, just get the information via doctor. At some point, I think he was checking into it. And I was obviously having regular blood tests and going to a diabetes clinic. And they said, you haven't got it. Well, in some ways it must have been a relief. But once that relief... It was a relief, but it was really scary as well. Because when you've got type 1 diabetes, they're always banging on about, oh, you must look after your feet and your legs. It's a high risk of amputation. Mm. So I spent months, every night I was in bed thinking, does my leg hurt? Oh, we'll have to have it amputated and get in a state. Oh, Lynn. And I also knew two, no, two other people. I've got another story I found collapsed unconscious outside my house three months ago. Don't know what I'd gone out there for because I left the door open, didn't have any shoes on, probably calling the cat in. Paramedics were called by a neighbour. I was con- unconscious and collapsed. Yeah. I was taken to hospital... Um, I was discharged at 4am in the morning when I was sitting waiting for the transport home the paramedic that actually took me in walked past and said what, what are you doing sitting there I said I'm going home and he said are you serious he said I told them you collapsed again and I've got a hard floor indoors 
Well, Lynn, listen, we have to end it there, but uh, I appreciate you coming on and telling your stories. I don't want this to be a complete hospital bashing. If you've got good stories about the hospitals, let me know. Laura in Aylesbury has texted in. We were talking about um, Stoke Mandeville earlier on. I've always been very happy with Stoke Mandeville. Gave birth to both my boys there and had care during both pregnancies there too. Recently had a lump on my neck, investigated swiftly and was really happy with the service they provided. 08459 455 555. Andy Murray, the professional miserablest tennis player, has been complaining about the grunting from opponent Carlos Berlock as he reached the quarterfinals of the BNP Paribas Open. Well, according to the BBC's tennis correspondent, um, Jonathan Overend, Berlock's super loud, double edged grunt groan polluted a pleasant Californian evening. It annoyed Murray so much he shouted outrageous at one point. Well, in case you're wondering, this is a recording of one of his grunts from the uh, tennis match that took place. <coughs> you can see that would be uh, quite off-putting. Well, Ben Oakley is a senior lecturer in sports studies at the Open University, based in Milton Keynes. Ben, this, this grunting, does it, does it, it kind of came into fashion, I seem to remember, in the 80s. Does it help you play tennis better? No, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face. Uh, that was a great grunt I heard just then. Um, I, I seem to remember it, it being more common in the women's game, actually, uh, to start with. And um, I can't, you know, I know of no study that says grunting is good. Well, what's the, what's the point of it, then? Is there a psychology that it makes you hit stronger or that um, it, it puts the other person off? Well, I think what Andy Murray is getting at, that uh, there was a bit of gamesmanship going on because he was being accused by the other guy of uh, taking a bit too long between points and then... Uh, the volume suddenly got turned up on the grunting, apparently. I, I've been thinking about other sports where this, this could be, you know, it could suddenly come out of the blue. And uh, imagine if someone started uh, grunting on the uh, the first tier of the golf course. That would be pretty off-putting, wouldn't it? That would be good, yes. Or, or when they're taking, uh, taking a shot in snooker. Yeah, oh, that, 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 wouldn't, that wouldn't work <laughs> well. And what about rowing? Eight, eight guys, you know... Rowing down the course, every time they take a stroke, they grunt. That wouldn't be too hot either. <laughs> it wouldn't be too good. But you're right, the women do do it. Even more. I remember Steffi Graf being a, a world-class grunter. And, and, of course, the um, uh, those those two sisters, the, the, the Williams sisters, they, they, they can grunt for, for America, can't they? Well, I think, no, I, think, I think in the women's game, there's some, some women have got a reputation to, for it more than the others. Uh, I, you know, I can't remember all the names, but uh, it certainly must be off-putting. I, I, I play a bit of tennis myself, and I, would, I just would start laughing if I heard it. You would do. If you're right. If you, when you see it at Wimbledon or this, uh, this tennis tournament that Murray's in, you kind of go, oh, yeah, they're grunting. But if you're down your local tennis club and there's some old boy that starts doing it, you would think, oh, come on now, you look ridiculous doing that. Well, are there anything in the rules, Ben? If someone is, is grunting too loudly, is the umpire allowed to step in and say, "Hey, turn it down"? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, we've had it. It's been around tennis for a while, so you know the umpires must uh, have a have a position on it, and uh, they'd probably let it all go until it gets outrageous. I would think. Ben, thank you very much. Ben Oakley, senior lecturer in sports studies at the Open University. I want to hear your grunts. This th- this prompts two lines of conversation. I want to hear your grunts, please. Can we get some good grunting going? It does actually... I'm doing it. It does feel quite cathartic. And also, what annoys you at work? These grunts annoyed Andy Murray at work. What annoys you at work? 08459 455555. I would imagine I'm annoying most of the people here at BBC Three Counties. Oh, dear. Here's the travel news now with Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
heading it down the A600 at Harridan Road in both directions in Bedford. It is closed following an accident between Eastcots Road and Mile Road at the A5134 and westbound on the A40 as well. One lane closed following a broken down vehicle just between Swakely's Roundabout and the M40. Anti-clockwise on the M25, fairly start-stop as well between 20, uh, Junction 19 at Watford sorry, and 15 at the M4. Early reports of a broken down vehicle there between 16 and 15. Everything else on the road's not looking too bad. A few usual delays uh, on the rest of the M25, particularly around Junction 21. Also fairly slow on the Barnet Bypass still and uh, the A10 through Chesant uh, suffering with the usual delays just around Winston Churchill Way. Now we do have replacement bus service running on London Midland services between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey, all following an earlier train fault, so do check before you travel this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. <laughs> Morning at 7.46, it's Thursday the 14th of March. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham is welcoming the government's plans to ban gagging orders on NHS whistleblowers. Catholics around the world have been welcoming the election of the new Pope. 76-year-old Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio will be known as Pope Francis. A little bit easier to say. In sport, Jonathan Trott hit an unbeaten 121 and Nick Compton made a century as England's cricketers reached 267 for two at stumps on day one of the second test against New Zealand in Wellington. Coming up, how long did it take you to learn to drive? Well, for one Hertfordshire woman, it was 25 years. Before 8 o'clock, she'll be going for a drive with our bad driving correspondent, Justin Dealey. But before that, let's get the latest weather with Elizabeth Rossini. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hi, a very good morning to you. We've still got temperatures a good few degrees below freezing. There's going to be lots of windscreen scraping, I think, this morning. So allow just a little bit of extra time for that, I think, this morning. A few mist patches too, they'll lift and clear quite nicely into the morning, but a lovely crisp start to the day with plenty of good spells of sunshine around this morning. Bit of blue sky, it'll feel pleasantly warm in the sunshine, but we're still in the cold air, so in the shade, yep, it's still going to feel mighty chilly. But the winds are touch lighter than they have been recently. Temperature today between around 5 and 7 degrees Celsius I think in Berkhamsted in St Albans in Stevenage as well Hitchin we've got um, we've got 6 degrees Celsius up there that's 43 in Fahrenheit lots of sunny spells into the afternoon just watch out for one or two light showers in places they won't be half as hefty though half as frequent as they were yesterday just light in nature could turn a bit wintry over the higher ground at times now as we head into this evening and overnight uh, we'll start to see a little bit more in the way of cloud possibly an early frost particularly for parts of Hertfordshire I would say and then heading down from the northwest, we've got a little system that's going to give us thicker clouds through the night milder temperatures to start the day tomorrow on around sort of one two degrees Celsius a bit of a hike there and um, some outbreaks of patchy rain into tomorrow as well and that's going to continue for much of the rest of the day a southwesterly breeze this time so much milder wind tomorrow temperatures up to around eight degrees Celsius that's uh, 46 in Fahrenheit so not bad at all but we are going to see some outbreaks of patchy rain and that rain is likely to turn heavier as we head into Friday evening, stalling until Saturday. So for much of the weekend it is going to be really quite wet, but at least it'll be mild. It'll turn colder though into next week, Ian. Thank you, Elizabeth. BBC 
BBC Introducing is your chance to hear unsigned, undiscovered and under-the-radar music on BBC Three Counties Radio. We showcase the best emerging talent from across beds, hearts and bucks with live sessions and exclusive recordings. And this Saturday, we're taking BBC Introducing to the Auburn Arena to celebrate the launch of Music City, a festival about local music, local venues and local people. Tune in this Saturday night and discover music you never knew existed. BBC Introducing, Saturday from 8 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Uh, What annoys you at work? After Andy Murray, the uh, professional miserablist, says the grunting of his opponent put him off. Well, David has uh, has emailed in. Uh, 3CR at bbc.co.uk. I'll tell you what narks me at work, Ian. Rude kids. It's a bit hard to get away from them as a teacher... Parents need to teach their kids manners, as it's severely lacking from any, and they are often ruder than their kids. Yeah, rude parents is worse than rude kids, definitely. Oh, those rude parents. No manners whatsoever. What annoys you at work? I'm almost scared to ask Justin Dilly the question, but we will do maybe before eight if we have time. How long did it take you to learn to drive? It took me... Um, I think you, you can learn when you're 17, can't you? I think. I think I passed my test just after Freddie Mercury died. So he died in November. <laughs> so it took me... No, just before he died. I passed it just before Freddie Mercury died. Um, and I started learning in June on my birthday. So it took me June, July, August, September. It took me about four or five months. Well, it took one woman 25 years. She first got behind the wheel in 1988. Alex Smith from Stanford Abbotts carried on and on and on. Seven instructors, over 150 lessons, but managed to pass her test first time. We can cross now to our dangerous driving correspondent, Justin Dealey, who has had five more tests than uh, Alex, didn't you, Mm, Justin? I did, yes. I had uh, six tests uh, a long, long time ago, (laughs) but uh, I did eventually pass, and of course I am a better driver than you. We all know that. that. Dealey, there are certificates in the BBC Mm, Three Counties mm. office that would dispute that. Fake ones, yes. Let's not get into that. (laughs) You're with Alex now. Where are you? What's going on? Well, let's just put this into perspective, Ian. Back in 1988, when Alex first started driving, Town beat Arsenal in the Littlewoods Cup at Wembley and Yaz was topping the UK charts with the only way the is only up. way is up <laughs> baby for you Sorry. and me now it was worth mentioning just to hear that that it was wasn't absolutely it just. fabulous what so, happened to Yaz and the plastic oh, population there is a question forget about Alex and the driving <laughs> what happened to Yaz Yaz if you're listening what happened to you so a long long time ago Alex I have been driving with you I'm going to play that audio in just a second but how relieved do you feel after all of these lessons to finally say I I've passed my driving test. It's wonderful. It's miraculous to finally say that's off my chest. I've done it. It's finished. It's over. I need never take another lesson. And can I just say, you look incredibly normal as well. I wasn't (laughs) sure what to expect this morning, but you do look like a normal human being. Thank you. So do you. Well, not at this time in the morning. Yeah, it's very, very early. So, Ian, I've She sounds normal, doesn't she? (laughs) She does sound normal. (laughs) You know, when you think, she's 150 lessons, seven instructors, 25 years, and she's finally got there. Now, a few minutes ago, in i went out into the car with alex it was terrifying this is what happened so we're in the toyota yaris got the indicators on began for a couple of minutes or so i put my sick bag to the left hand side <laughs> alex this seems pretty cool actually you seem okay thank you uh, it's the first time i've driven like this with, with you sitting there and it's very nerve-wracking actually i mean you were nervous anyway weren't you yes, about driving absolutely. so having me here is probably making the situation <laughs> even worse for you it is a little bit but uh, it's something i've got to get used to 
I will be driving people around in the future, so I've just got to get used to it. Am I going to be okay? Well, cross your fingers. If you've got a lucky rabbit's foot or something, <laughs> hang on to that very tightly. I mean, are you a dreadful driver? Because on, on the evidence of what I've seen so far, you're not. Are you a dreadful driver, or did you have dreadful driving instructors? I think I was very unlucky with the driving instructors. It was partly my nerves. It was partly my lack of confidence. But uh, I had terrible, terrible instructors. Uh, a racist bigot was one of them, someone who broke both his knees. Someone who took me straight into a brick wall. Can you keep looking in that mirror, by the way? Yes, Carry on. sorry, yes. I'm, I'm looking in all the mirrors and I'm aware of all the traffic around us. Don't worry, you're perfectly safe, I think. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, so you've got a Toyota Yaris. Uh, any plans to go up market, get, get a big, dirty sports car or anything like that? Oh, good God, no. No, 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 no. no. Anything that goes over 50 miles an hour is wasted on me. Okay, here comes another junction. I'm just a little bit terrified. No, 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 no you've done it. You've done it okay. I mean, what would you say to anybody who says, I'm sorry, 150 lessons, <laughs> all these years, you yes. should not be on the road. You just shouldn't be on the road. They may, they, they may have a point, but on the other hand, 150 lessons would make me surely the safest driver on the road. After all, no one knows as much as I do. No one's been there, seen it, done it as often as I have. I've, I've learnt at 7 o'clock in the morning, I've learnt at 7 o'clock in the night, I've learnt on quiet roads, busy roads, city centres, I've learnt in winter, I've learnt in summer. I have had professional lessons in every sort of environment, so surely I'm the safest driver out there. You talk a good game. Um, I'm going to turn this microphone off in just a second because the listeners can probably hear the, uh, the fear in my voice. <laughs> I suppose your message to anybody would be, look, never give up. It took no. me 150 lessons, yes. but I did it in the end. Exactly. Persevere persevere it will come right in the end everything comes to those who really really want it you've just indicated off and you did check your mirror and you've slowed down into second gear uh, you're making a real effort for me and i appreciate that thank you very much thank you ian i survived i survived <laughs> you're, you're making a real effort for me girl i yeah, appreciate that you really are I, well, I'm, I'm keen to know about the driving instructor not the bigger although mm, i would like mm. to know about that but the one that had no knees yes can you tell us more about this driving instructor that had no knees if you don't mind <laughs> well he asked me to book my test and then went away on a skiing holiday fell over outside the off license in switzerland and broke both his knees there you go. There's a story for you. And then. what's the listen? I, 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 she does sound wonderful, and she sounds yeah, much more yeah. normal than we were expecting. We yes. all had our ideas, and she, you, you know, but she sounds great. But she had one instructor that made her drive into a wall. Yeah. Alex, come on! <laughs> you can't blame that on yeah, the instructor. On. You can't blame the instructor for for you driving into a wall. That's a poor excuse, isn't it? Come on. Well, I was asking him how to stop. I didn't know where the brake was. And I was saying, "Where's the brake?" And he said, "You're fine. You're fine. Just carry on. You're fine." And eventually, yeah. I just. Went straight yeah. to the big wall. Oh, you were doing so well until that point. Um, your grandma had 13 driving tests, so <laughs> bad driving runs in the family then. Unfortunately so. Um, and my brother didn't pass until he was in his late 30s either, mm. so maybe it's just a family trip. Uh, no, listen, I think we're being unfair on, on, on Alex. She, she, she made a good point there. She's had 150 lessons. She's only had one test. Dealey, yeah. you had six tests. Yes. She, uh, she, she probably is a lot safer well, than any of us. I have to say, you know, but before we came here today, we all had our ideas, as you mentioned, but... When I got into the car, I thought, Alex is, in actual fact, a very safe driver. Good Ian, for her. We love a challenge on this programme. Yes. Alex, let me put this to you. Do you think we can find anybody listening to this programme in Beds, Hearts and Bucks and beyond who has had more lessons than you? 150. Do you think we can find somebody? Well, the gauntlet is down. I would like to meet them. 
There you go. But do you think we are going to find them, yes or no? No, no, no. definitely not. Well, Ian, the challenge is out there. It's can out we there. find somebody, you know, 25 years, take that out of the equation. That's just ridiculous. But, but can we find anybody who's had more than 150 driving lessons before they pass their test for real? 08459 455 555. Justin, you knew this question was coming. And I want mm. you to be honest and frank and yes. mention names if you have to. <laughs> okay. Andy Murray, the, the miserablest tennis player, is angry that uh, his, uh, he was irritated at work, that his opponent was grunting a lot. What, what irritates you at work, Justin? What irritates me is when the management have no idea about fashion, uh, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. I uh, wondered where you yes, were going with that. Yeah, just recently, we've had all these new jackets that have made. They look dreadful. You must wear your jacket every single morning, Justin, because you need to go out and wear the jacket that doesn't fit you. Don't that, do annoys me. that annoys me. Don't hand your notice in on my show, please. <laughs> I tell you what, you talk about fashion. Yeah. Justin, we had a meeting the other day and Justin was chatting and then suddenly I went he was wearing a hoodie and I went Justin, have you got anything on underneath that hoodie? And you didn't. You can't just wear a hoodie with nothing no, underneath no, hang it. Hang on a second. I'm wearing a shirt today. There's two or three buttons <laughs> which are down. Alex, this is oh. a good look, isn't it? It's a good look. Come on. You, you like it. For you, it's a very good look. Yes, thank you. There you go. <laughs> Justin Dealey. Well, that was Justin Dealey, and it was nice working with him at BBC Three Counties. Uh, and and that's, tomorrow we'll be discussing interesting ways to hand in your notice, because that's exactly what he just did. 08459 455 555. What irritates you? at work. Justin being a little bit more honest there than I was expecting him to be. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. There will actually be words in the office later on. Give me a call, let Listen, me know oh, 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 I, give I, me a call, let me know what irritates let, you at work. Your best grunt. Oh, that was uh, the grunting montage. I do apologise for that. Let's try this now. There we go. We'll play the grunts a bit later on. Here's the trouble with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. In both directions on the A600, that's Harrodon Road through Bedford. It is still looking like it's closed at the moment, following an accident between Eastcots Road and Mile Road. Now the A40 heading west at the moment through Uxbridge. One lane closed there following a broken down vehicle just in Swakeley's Road and the M40. Also eastbound on the A40 at the Western Avenue through Royslip. It is queuing following an earlier accident just before West End Road at the Polish War Memorial. Congestion is back to the Denham Roundabout at Junction 1 of the M40. Anti-clockwise on the M25, still start-stop as well between 19 at Watford and 15 at the M4. And replacement bus service is running on London Midland between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey following a train fault. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up later on in the show, night flights could be doubled at Luton Airport. We'll be speaking to Peter Lilly, MP, on his views on that and also yours. Speak to you after the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 8 o'clock. The headlines, Wickham MP backs government stance on whistleblowers, noise campaigners march on Luton Town Hall and the pub helping police with their inquiries. BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham will call for greater transparency and accountability within the NHS in Buckinghamshire when he addresses the Commons later. Conservative Steve Baker is speaking ahead of an investigation by the medical director of the NHS Commissioning Board into high mortality rates at the county's hospitals. He also welcomed the government's plans to ban gagging orders to ban gagging orders on hospital whistleblowers. We've got to get to a point where the NHS is transparent. All too often I have second-hand um, accounts of things that are problems. I can't do anything about them second-hand. 
So I just really welcome this opportunity the NHS has locally through Sir Bruce's investigation to properly reassure the public about the quality of service locally. Catholics around the world have been welcoming the election of a new Pope. 76-year-old Argentinian Jorge Mario Bergoglio has made history by becoming the first Pope from the Americas and the first to be a Jesuit. The General Secretary of the Australian Bishops' Conference, Father Brian Lucas, said that while Pope Francis might be considered conservative, he would speak out for those most in need. On the question, of course, of social policy, it seems that he would be much less conservative and seems to have a track record of being a, a person who's been able to stand up and speak for those who have no voice, those who are marginalised, and to decry the terrible disparity between rich and poor. Figures from the Office for National Statistics suggest that Milton Keynes will see the country's biggest rise in the age of its population in the next 20 years. Gail Sanderson has the details. By 2030, the number of over 65-year-olds in the area is expected to increase by more than 100%, 108.1 to be precise. The national average is 50%. The figures have been released as part of a House of Lords report into the country's ability to respond to the needs of an ageing population. It concludes the government is woefully unprepared to deal with the pressure it'll place on employment, pensions and healthcare. Campaigners will protest outside Luton Town Hall this lunchtime in a bid to stop Luton Airport's plans to increase the number of night flights. The airport, which is owned by the Borough Council, wants to double the number of passengers it can process to, from 9 to 18 million a year. A Hertfordshire landlord is helping police with their inquiries by flashing up images of suspected criminals on his pub's television. Police are hoping the initiative at the Red Lion in Stansted Abbots could be rolled out across the county. Our reporter Ewan Duncan asked punters whether it would put them off their pints. I wouldn't have any friends who were involved with the police, to be honest, so um, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I suppose I'm not really expecting to see anyone I know there, so it shouldn't make me uncomfortable. It's the same as watching Crime Watch, isn't it? So, you know, you just don't want to scream and point and go, oh, I can't believe he did that. And would you be surprised if you suddenly saw a friend up there? I can't comment. <laughs> the weather, not a laughing matter. Hail, sleet or snow in a top temperature of 4 degrees Celsius, that's 39 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Here every weekday, 6 till 9 o'clock. And coming up in the last hour of the show, a Buckinghamshire MP will raise in the House of Commons today his concerns about Bucks NHS. What do you think of the hospitals in the three counties? Are you happy with them? Or have you got concerns and worries? I'm asking you to call in with your best tennis grunts. And Luton Airport will announce plans that it wants to double the amount of flights. What do you think? Protesters are furious, but on Facebook, lots of you are saying, what's the problem? If you want to discuss that and everything else, you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. There is a picture of some of the protesters and you can uh, join in the debate there. You can also text in 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give me a phone call, 0845 now, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio.
A Buckinghamshire MP will raise in the House of Commons today his concerns about Buck's NHS. Steve Baker is the MP for Wickham and is calling for greater accountability and transparency in the NHS. Today he will speak about two cases of deaths in their care, one at Stoke Mandeville and the other at Wickham Hospital. Well, earlier on this show, he said there has been a high number of deaths in Buckinghamshire for the last couple of years. Now, this is a good opportunity for hospitals locally to reassure the public because we've had a number of problems. Uh, You asked which specifically. Well, one is Edward Maitland. Now, Mr Maitland was a frail man, unable to eat solid foods, and he died after he ate Weetabix in Wickham Hospital. His son, a paramedic, had given warning that he couldn't eat solid foods, He even provided his liquid food, but after a communication breakdown, he ended up eating solid food and he died. Well, joining me now is Alvin Evans-Woodward. His wife, Becky, was turned away by Wickham Hospital while suffering heart palpitations. Morning, Alvin. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. Take us through, again, what happened to your wife the night she went to Wickham Hospital. Well, we we went to Wickham Hospital um, with palpitations of 188 beats a minute, um, expecting to go and see the cardiac unit. Um, we arrived there and was told that um, it was closed and we weren't allowed in. So uh, we were sent over to the MIU unit um, and they sent us over, or they suggested we go to Stoke Mandeville Hospital and have a ECG done there and then get sent back to uh, Wickham Hospital. Um, we spent an hour waiting to get into the um, resource unit at the Wickham Hospital cardiac unit. Um, and it was all because of policy and procedures. Um, and so you're, you're, you're worried that your wife potentially is, you know, could die? Yeah, I mean, like I said to you last uh, November, December time, when I spoke to you on the radio, Becky was worried that somebody was going to die at that hospital because of their, the way that they'd taken their policy and procedures over nursing and care. Um, and she didn't want to be a statistic. And, you know, we said at the time that there's something really wrong with these hospitals and they need to be sort of accountable to their people that are paying their way. And it seems now, with everything that's going on, that a lot of these hospitals have skimped and slaved, put policy and procedures in place, put people on the, was it Liverpool pathway, without people knowing. And if it's true in Wickham and Amersham that people have been left to die or not been cared then the hospital need to be accountable to, to them families because I nearly lost my wife that night. Well, I, mean, I, just, I just, have to, just have to stress, of course, that the hospitals aren't here at the moment. And I think we should just talk about your story because we, the hospitals aren't here to defend themselves at the moment. But how is, you, with, with your incident with, with your wife, Becky, how did that leave you both feeling in, in terms of, of hospital care? Uh, absolutely disgusted. I mean, it came to the stage where Becky was just petrified that she never, ever wanted to go back to Wickham Hospital. Now, considering Wickham Hospital is the cardiac and stroke receiving unit, that's pretty bad because she's so afraid that she's going to go there and die that, you know, she could have died, she could die any day. And because of the way they treated us, she's that petrified to go back there. I mean, we're not stupid. We know that if it does happen and Becky does have a heart attack, that's where she'll go or she'll go to the Harefield. Uh, we're not silly enough to say we're not going to go back there, but it's more stressful going to that hospital than it would be if they'd have treated us properly in the first place. What would you like to see done, Alvin? <laughs> I'd like to see nurses being able to nurse, because that night it proved to us that the policy and procedures that are put in place 
are taking over the nurse's care and, and compassion. You know, that, the nurse that turned us away, you could see on her face the absolute horror that she, what she was watching before her, you know, somebody could die, and the only reason she couldn't let them in was because she'd get sacked because it's a policy and procedure that she couldn't go against. They need to change the policy and procedure to let nurses and doctors have uh, compassion and... Well, I can't remember the other word. It's, um... Well, it's just a bit of common sense as well. Yeah, it that's would, it. Common it would sense. Some common sense to say, yes, they need help. Stuff the policy procedure. Let's get them in. Alvin, how's Becky doing now? Is she all right? Um... <sighs> Well, we're still having investigations done by the Harefield Hospital. Um, they're looking at doing uh, an operation in, in a month or so um, to hopefully sort it out. I mean, but they're, like with anything to do with the heart, there is, uh, you know, possibilities of things going wrong that we don't want to go wrong. Um, and that's where we are, you know, I mean... Well, listen, best of luck to both of you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, that they'll, they'll do everything they can to, to, to sort things out and... Um, Appreciate you coming on. That's Alvin Evans Woodward, uh, who was talking about his wife, Becky. Well, joining me now is Andrew Clark from the Bucks charity Buds, who have taken the step of compiling a dossier of evidence about risks to patient safety at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. Andrew, why did you decide to compile this dossier? It was a, quite a, an, an exceptional step for us. It's not something we've, we've done in the past. And the, the primary reason why we did it is that we were hearing from people at Stoke Mandeville, staff and patients and visitors, that they had concerns about patient safety, which they felt were not being dealt with adequately through the internal channels. Um, and we were also aware that, that quite a large number of patients, um, in the same way that Alvin has come on your programme today and talked about his concerns, that takes quite a lot of courage, it takes quite a lot of determination. A lot of people were worried about doing that or they wanted, they didn't want to put their heads above the parapet. And, and a fair few people are worried that if they complain about the NHS, it'll somehow have an impact on their NHS treatment in the future. So we decided to give people um, an alternative way of giving feedback about the hospital. I think it's important to say we're not setting ourselves up as judge and jury on the hospital. Um, we're simply collecting information from members of the public, from um, staff, from anyone who wants to give an opinion and has any evidence about patient safety at Stone Mandeville. What sort of complaints have you? What sort of complaints have you been getting, Andrew? Um, it's been a mixture. Um, we've had a couple of, I suppose, what you call historic cases, talking about things that have happened in the past. But the vast majority of them have been things that have happened in the last two or three weeks, um, and some very, very shocking incidents amongst them. Now, we obviously are compiling a dossier for the CQC, and uh, you'll understand if I'm unable to go into detail at this stage, because it's for the CQC to decide what to do with the information. Of course. Um, but some, some certainly we have been genuinely shocked by some of the, 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 the messages that have come through to us. Without going into specifics, and I, of course, appreciate why you can't. Mm. can't uh, I mean, what kind of area? Are we talking potentially life-threatening Mistakes? I would, I would, I would say so. Yes, I would say so. Okay. Um, we, we, I, I have to say again, we are only hearing one side of the story, and yep. the story that is perceived by a patient can be quite different from the story that is being perceived by clinicians. So, as I say, we're not reaching any conclusion as to whether or not these are justified or not. What we do think is quite interesting is that an enormous means to get your comments back. 
Oh, Andrew, we're, we're losing you slightly. We'll just try and keep you for a bit longer. You, cause it's not just the patients that you've been speaking to either. You, you, you've had staff complaining, is that right? Indeed. I, I, well, I wouldn't say that we've had any staff complaining. I think what we've had are staff who have um, legitimate and well-reasoned grounds for being concerned. Um, that doesn't surprise us because we think the NHS staff are marvellous. You know, that it is very hard to find an individual member of staff who is who is not committed and, and skilled in their jobs. They're all... It's a large organisation. But there are a lot of care and compassionate staff to do the best for the patients, rather, I suspect, like the, the nurse, the admissions nurse that, that Alvin was talking about earlier on, that want to do the best for the patients but feel that they can't or that they have concerns about the way that hospitals are being managed or funded or staffed. Um, and they've used our initiative as a means to bring forward those concerns, which I think is only for the best. Andrew, listen, we're going to leave you there because the the line isn't great, but Andrew Clark, thank you very much uh, indeed. Well, Jenny is in Milton Keynes. Morning, Jenny. Good morning. And we're trying to keep this as balanced as we can. You've got some good story, a good story about hospitals. I have, but a very good, in fact, two very, very good stories. Go on there very quickly if you can. Um, I had three knee replacements, two hip replacements, and I was in Ward 21. They were very, very short staff, and I couldn't wish for better service. What what on earth is wrong with your knees and your hips that you keep getting them replaced, Jenny? What are you doing? Osteoarthritis. Ah, so you're not out river dancing or anything like that? No, and the other one was, sadly, when I lost my husband last July... Um, they knew he was going to be very ill. They, they really spoke to me, and they were so good to me after he died. They even sent the vicar to give him the last rites. And what, what hospital was that, Jenny? Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes Hospital. So you're, you are more than happy with the service uh, that you've received, and you've got great confidence in, in your have, hospital. They were very, very good. There's only four nurses on, and they were absolutely excellent. Well, Jenny, I appreciate you coming and putting the other side of the story. I, I don't want this to be a, a, a one-sided attack. Keen to get your stories about the hospitals in the three counties. Are you happy with them? Like Jenny, she's, um, you know, been through a lot. Three knees and two hips. Oh, dear. Um, and they were great. And when, sadly, her husband passed on, it would appear that they, they did a fantastic job at, at putting her at, at ease as much as they could. Or do you agree with Steve Baker, MP, for Wickham, who's concerned about the hospitals in Bucks? 08459 455 555. 8.15, exactly. Here's the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and Bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Heading through Bedford in both directions on the A600 at Harrodon Road. It is closed following an accident between the East Cots Road and the A5134 at Mile Road as well. Now heading west on the A40, one lane closed following a broken down vehicle between Swakely's roundabouts and the M40 itself. And anti-clockwise on the M25, still looking very start-stop between Junction 20 at Kings Langley and 15 at the M4 at the moment. Everything else not too bad. A few usual delays on the M25 at the moment. Uh, elsewhere looking fairly busy just around the uh, junction 16 at the M40 at the moment usual delays there and a replacement bus service also running on London Midland between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey following an earlier train fault so do check before you travel Sophie Tyler BBC Three Counties Radio thank you very much morning it's 8.16 it's Thursday the 14th of March I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio The MP for Wickham will call for greater transparency and accountability within the NHS in Buckinghamshire when he addresses the Commons later. 
Pope Francis will celebrate his first Mass today as leader of the Roman Catholic Church and begin appointing senior staff at the Vatican. In sport, Jonathan Trott hit an unbeaten 121 and Nick Compton made a century as England's cricketers reached 267 for two at stumps on day one of the second test against New Zealand in Wellington. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, hail, sleet or snow and a top temperature of four degrees. Coming up, campaigners will protest today outside Luton Town Hall against plans for increased number of numbers of night flights out of Luton Airport. We'll find out more before 8.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni with the best local news stories. There's a sporting story emerging. Paul Buckle has left Luton Town Football Club by mutual consent. The owners of the Centre MK have withdrawn a part of an application regarding the Primark development. Local talking points. The Hertfordshire Police and Crime Commissioner, Mr David Lloyd, has a plan to get sponsorship for police cars. The best local travel. There's been another day of disruption on the Thameslink line today. We were allowed evacuating some the train and we had to go back to Ratchet and now we're waiting for the bus. Roberto Peroni, every weekday from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, what? Uh, what? What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm ranting. What? Well, can you stop that, please? <laughs> I'm grunting. Why are you grunting? Well, I'm uh, Andy Murray, the <laughs> miserablest, is complaining that his opponent grunts too much, and I'm just seeing. Do, do you find it off-putting? If, if I, I found that quite off-putting. Yes. Start, start your thing. What my phone is? Start your phone in, and we'll just. This is not the real trail for the show. We'll do it properly in a second. But do, do your, do your. Coming up on the big phone in this morning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't is do it, off, it. Is it off-putting? It's very off-putting. Well, okay, maybe, maybe he's got a point then. Can you, can you give me a grunt? What does your grunt sound like? But it's very butch. <laughs> what? Papa's got a brand new bag. <laughs> it does sound like James Brown when you do. What we're also asking this morning, uh, Jonathan, what irritates you at work? And I bet there's lots that irritates you. Oh, oh yeah. Justin Dealey is irritated by the new do jackets you know he has to wear. really annoys me? Yes. Um, if, if my desk that I sit at upstairs, yep. if it's dirty, oh. if there's any kind of... If anyone spilt coffee Aye. or juices on there, yeah. any bits of food in the keyboard drives Ouch. me mad. I, I often have to desanitise the <laughs> desk before I can do my work. I, you know that I use your desk when you're on the is air. Is it you? It is. <laughs> you <laughs> filthy person. Sometimes I find lumps of sandwich in my keyboard. Well, the bits drop off. Oh. And the bits I can't get out and eat again, I, I leave. That's disgusting. I've got a special high-pressure aerosol that blows it out. Have you got a, a, an aerosol pump? Hmm. Mm. It's upstairs. Okay. What's on your show this morning? We're going to be talking about the new Pope. Uh, I've had some. <coughs> I've had. Uh, I've had tweets from people saying, "I can't wait for you to tell him oh. the, the Pope's new name." God, he's called uh, Jorge Mario Begoglio. Jorge Mario Begoglio. Bergoglio. You're making sounds that are, that are not the, the phonetic in any language in the world. You're just coughing up a big greenie. That's that's his name, and he looks like a mixture of Jim Bowen. <laughs> 
<laughs> he looks like Jim Bowen. And uh, do, do you remember there's a Miami talk radio presenter called Neil Rogers? I do, yes, of course, he yes. Looks yes. Like Neil Rogers as he well. does look like both of those gentlemen. He does, mixed into one. He's, well, it's, it's exciting news. It is. Well, on the big phone in this morning, I'm yes. asking, does he sound like your kind of guy? Does this new Pope sound Sorry? like your kind of guy? Is that, po- the, is that the question? That's the question. It's the Pope you're talking about. Pope Francis will celebrate his first Mass today as leader of the Roman Catholic Church and begin appointing senior staff at the Vatican at 76. He certainly should have wisdom on his side, and he's a man who's been happy to make his views on certain issues well known. Single mothers, gay marriage, vanity... The Falklands, the list goes on. Well, oh, we've, we've lost the Falklands now, haven't we? From, from, Thanks for that. From nine this morning, I want to hear your views. Does the new Pope sound like your kind of guy? Do you think he's, uh, he's going to breathe fresh life into the Roman Catholic Church? Do you think he's going to breathe fresh life into the world? Or do you think he is uh, a Pope that you can't identify with? From Why are you laughing? Because Catherine Boyle has just sent me a message saying, is the Pope your kind of guy? I can't read that out. <laughs> She's a, a serious broadcaster, apparently. What's wrong with it? Does the Pope sound like your kind of guy? We're going to discuss that at <laughs> nine this morning. Brilliant question. Why don't they get like a young, a funky Pope? They're always this. This guy's seventy six. The one that's going out is seventy eight. Why don't they get a funky pope? Like a, you know, a, imagine a forty two year old funky pope. But that would be cool. That young is it in your eyes? <laughs> the, you need you need a man with wisdom, don't you? Forty two year old. I'm thirty nine. I have much wisdom to impart, but not as much as a seventy six year old. Maybe more. This man has lived. Well, has he? he, he has he? He has. He's lived a lot. He lives in a, in a flat on his own. He does his own cooking. Well, he's experienced things. Uh, uh, what, putting a Findus in the microwave? I'm quite sure. They don't eat Findus in Argentina. From nine this morning, does the new Pope sound like your kind of guy? It's the big phone-in. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It really, I would have to say, that's one of the best questions I've ever heard for the big... uh... JVS at nine. Is the Pope your kind of guy? 08459 455 555 if you want to give him a call now, or you can send him an email at jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Now, campaigners will protest today outside Luton Town Hall against plans for increased numbers of night flights out of Luton Airport. The airport wants to double the number of passengers it can process from 9 million to 18 million a year. But people living near the airport are unhappy. That could mean more noise and more night flights. Earlier, our reporter Justin met with some of the campaigners. You get a flight, it wakes you up, what happens? Your sleep's disturbed and the World Health Organisation has shown that causes serious health problems. Is that why you're wearing your dressing gown this morning here and it's freezing cold? We're wearing our dressing gowns to make the point that we want to protest and we want people to come out and help us protest against this plan to double night flights. So you're all going to be in dressing gowns today outside Lucenborough Council saying enough is enough, we can't take this anymore. Some of us will be in dressing gowns worth coming to see. Come to Luton Town Hall at 12.30 today. You can wave a plaque card and at the end of the protest we're going to pop our balloons just to make the point that we want this night flights thing brought under control we're not completely anti-airport we use the airport what we need is planning controls put in place by Luton Borough Council as part of the process of determining this planning application no No more more night flights flights. how How do we we get get it it? planning controls and we're going to pop our balloons to make the point well Peter Lilly is the MP for Hitchin and Harpenden and he's against the night flights good morning Peter Good morning. Peter, you've called for an independent inquiry on Luton Airport's expansion plans. What are your main concerns? 
Well, about the planning process, we have grave concerns because uh, as things stand at present, it will be Luton Council's own planning committee who will make the decision when a planning application is put in. And, of course, Luton owns the airport and gets a bounty from each extra passenger that travels through it. So their views are going to be tainted in the eyes of the public. Uh, and I don't think uh, we should proceed like that. We should have an independent body making the decision so that the decision is not only fair but seen to be fair. The airport does say that expansion plans could bring an extra 5,000 jobs. And I, I guess, would guess, I don't know, to do that they would need to increase the flights. Not everybody's ever going to be happy, are they? No, and I thought the uh, leader of the um, opposition, that's just, you know, of the, those uh, demonstrating, uh, was very sensible. He said, we're not against all expansion. The point is to make that expansion compatible with a decent environment for everybody living around the airport. And one of the best things could be is if they made a promise to ban or radically reduce the number of night flights. Instead, the proposals that they've put forward uh, indicate a doubling of the night flights. So, uh, but there, there were hints that the airport operators wouldn't be unhappy if there was a, a ban on air pi- uh, uh, night flights and they could um, go ahead with some expansion during the day. Well, to put it into context, Peter, it's, not, it's, it's just under a doubling, isn't it? They say that, that, that a lot of the information is being quoted wrong. They say they don't want to double the flights between 10 and 12. It's, it's 25 to 45 would be the increase. Yes. Uh, You're not buying that? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm still hoping that this is just a bargaining position and at the end of the day we can end up with a, a ban or a near ban on night flights, uh, which would, because they are the most disturbing and distressing kind of noise. Of course, uh, if you live right under the flight path, uh, day fl- um, flights are also damaging. We want to see quieter planes and the rerouting away from built-up areas wherever that's possible. Is it just a bit of nimbyism, Peter? I, I tell you what I ask, a couple of people have commented on the Facebook page. Drake says, more night flights, imagine the jobs and boosts to the economy. Uh, and Steve says, bring it on, there are a load of do-gooders if you ask me. Is it nimbyism? No, and uh, I've been very careful to say we shouldn't oppose all expansion. I was glad that the demonstrator took that point. It will create extra jobs, probably not as many as the airport authorities suggest, but it's uh, they'll both be direct jobs and it attracts business and industry and that's good one wants to see employment and prosperity in luton but uh, and one wants to see people enabled to travel travel's good it broadens the mind uh, but one wants to make sure that the conditions imposed on expansion are such that it's made uh, bearable for the people living near the airport peter lilly thank you very much for coming on appreciate your time across beds hearts and bucks this is ian lee on bbc three counties radio the security minister has said that the luton-based english defense league's anti-muslim speakers could encourage people into terrorism james brokenshire has said that the edl is responsible for inflaming tensions and spreading hatred and prejudice within the communities he joins me now uh, very strong language james what evidence evidence do you have that the edl does this well, good morning, Ian. Um, yes, no, we, we've been seeking to set out very clearly our assessment of the threat from terrorism, uh, including far-right uh, extremist terrorist terrorism. And a part of that is the, I suppose, the radicalising nar- narratives that, uh, that terrorists can be involved in, who tend to be, in, from the far-right, lone individuals rather than organised groups. But it is about some of the messaging that's being put out, uh, very anti-Muslim messaging that seems 
seeks to divide communities. And I think the clear, uh, the clear statement I wanted to underline is how the government fundamentally disagrees with those statements and to underline the work that's taking place, some very good work in places like Luton, to seek to provide a more integrated society. Do you really think that EDL followers could become terrorists? Well, I think that there are individuals within the EDL that have very uh, extremist views. Uh, And the point that I was trying to make was that sometimes that can gravitate further to more direct terrorism using violence itself to advance a particular political uh, aim. Um, The EDL themselves, they conduct their protests whilst uh, I fundamentally disagree with their views. they, They have the right to protest and that those protests are policed and so we deal with them more as a I suppose a public order and an integration issue but there can be individuals who go down a pathway that leads them to further radicalization to uh, the ambition to be involved in some sort of terrorist act and uh, we are taking those threats very very seriously and it's why our counter-terrorism strategy embraces all forms of terrorism including the potential threat from the far right. They argue they're not a far right organization but you say that they are. Well, we look at the extremist language that uh, those uh, those who are involved, uh, some of those who are involved, uh, seek to perpetuate, and it's only divisive. It, it divides communities. You know, I, you know I've spoken to uh, leaders from within Luton and other councils who underline the the tensions and uh, the challenges that that poses. It's why a number of the local authorities, including Luton, have come together as a special group to seek to identify how best to deal with some of these issues, how to challenge some of this quite racist, anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric that, uh, that some members of the EDL seek to put forward. Of course, there may well be political issues of concern that are identified, but it's when it gets framed within that narrative that almost uh, a Muslim can't be part of British society. That is where we do and will confront that very firmly and not allow that sense of extremism to be able to foster. James Brokenshaw, thank you very much for your time. Sorry to keep it brief, we have to move on. It's 8.30. Let's get the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting off on the A600, that's Harrodin Road. It looks like it has all been cleared now following the earlier accident. The road has been reopened, so it should be looking an awful lot easier in the area now. Heading west on the A40 through Uxbridge, though, two lanes are still closed. There's queuing traffic following a broken down vehicle between Swakely's roundabouts and the M40. Congestion is back to the A40, uh, back, sorry, to the Western Avenue at the A437. Now heading north on the M1, one lane also blocked with queuing traffic following an accident. Three cars involved there between Newport Bagnall Services and Junction 15 and Northampton. Everything else not looking too bad. A little bit slow anti-clockwise on the M25, where you'd expect, but nothing that's going to hold you up for too long. A replacement bus service is running, however, on London Midland between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey, all following an earlier train fault. So do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning with the 8.30 headlines. I'm Catherine Boyle. The MP for Wickham will call for greater transparency and accountability within the NHS in Buckinghamshire when he addresses the Commons later. Pope Francis will celebrate his first Mass today as leader of the Roman Catholic Church and begin appointing senior staff at the Vatican. And figures from the Office of National Statistics suggest Milton Keynes will see the country's biggest rise in the age of its population within the next 20 years. 
Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. In rugby, Bedford beat the Army by 43 points to 29 in last night's Mobs Memorial match at Goldington Road. The Blues, who fielded Saracens flankers Jack Berger for one half and Andy Saul for the other, ran in seven tries and landed four conversions. They led to at 26-0 at half-time, but the Army hit back with five-second half-tries and two conversions themselves. Earlier, the East Midlands beat the Army A-team 28-8. Arsenal won 2-0 at Bayern Munich last night but went out in the last 16 stage on away goals as the tie finished 3-3 on aggregate. And in cricket, Jonathan Trott hit an unbeaten 121 as England reached 267 for two at stumps on day one of the second test against New Zealand. Trott says his performance in Wellington this morning was needed following his poor batting in the first test. I'm always disappointed when I don't get in and, and, and get runs at, you know, on offer. Um, you know, if you get a good ball, you can't really be too upset about it. But you know, I felt I pretty, pretty much got myself out in... Uh, uh, in both innings and uh, you know it's, it's, it's important not to be too hard on yourself but you can't be you know too soft and say well the next innings I'll get runs you got to when you get the chance you got to take it Andy Murray will play Juan Martín del Potro in the quarterfinals of the Indian Wells Masters Tennis after he beat Carlos Berdelock in tw- straight sets 7-6-6-4. During their match, Berdelock complained to the chair umpire that Murray was taking too long between points. Murray responded by complaining about his opponent's grunting. When it's consistent, you know, you can kind of get used to it, but when it's kind of coming from being silent to then... Extremely loud noise and it's carrying through and so you're hitting the ball. Uh, that's when it gets a bit too much. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine. You can do a Scottish accent. I try. No one can do a Scottish accent. Hardly the Scots can do them either. My daughter can do one from Nina in the Neurons. Oh. Ooh, she loves it. An interesting use of the word um, innings is. Did you hear the cricketer? Yeah. Innings is. He can say what he wants. No one understands it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much, <laughs> Kath. Excellent stuff as always. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, this morning, the last 30 minutes of the show before JVS, we're going all over the shop. Lip reading, tennis grunts and the new Pope. It doesn't get any more varied than that. And some would say that's probably too varied as it is. Now, a lip reading teacher who has completely lost all her funding is carrying on regardless. Louise Reed has been running one of the only lip reading classes for 36 years. It's one of the only ones in Hertfordshire. And Louise joins me in the studio now. Morning, Louise. Morning, Ian. 36 years. Why did you get into lip reading and, and teaching it? Well, i tell you something. It's very simple. Yep. I was ill for nearly two years in hospital and it may sound soppy but it's true when you come out of hospital after being so ill and being better you want to give something back Mm. it sounds very soppy but it's true soppy's nice it's good we like soppy here that's fine (laughs) that's all there is to it yes but so how did you did you discover you could do lip reading that it came easily or did you learn did someone teach you no 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 i became a teacher of the deaf right I went to Madison University, did a course in uh, teaching of the deaf. I did ordinary teaching and then became a teacher of the deaf. Mm. And then I began teaching in a, in a, in a school for um, deaf children. It was, a, it was a, a residential school in those days. Can you imagine three to five years residential? Awful. Wow, yeah, incredible. But of course, because the catchment area was so big, people yep. had to come. They couldn't do the, that journey every day. They come in on a Sunday night, go home on a Friday night. And I had eight little children between three and five. Mm. Um, in my care and they came in very often with no language at all Mm, uh, because these were born deaf children and so my job was to get them talking how do you teach children who've been born deaf to lip read well 
Well, she wasn't just a lip read, it's to talk. Right, OK, right. Yes. So you have to have an interesting face. Yes. I'm not saying my face. Your face is, is fascinating. Fascinating, absolutely. I spotted that as soon as you yes, came in. Yes, it's all the spots and the, and the exhume. Yes, so what you need to do is to say, have something interesting. So you find what they're inst- interested in, you know, a car or a doll or whatever it is. You hold it. It's very difficult, this, on on radio. I know. Because they can't see. No. And I'm a visual person. Yes. However, you hold whatever it is they're interested in, a car, a yeah. doll, beside your face and you say this is a doll and oh, they see. look at you and they think mad woman yeah. I want the doll yeah. and you would take the you say no I won't you can't the have doll. it absolutely yes. true you keep and you say it's a doll it's a doll and eventually they'll say oh and you say yes and you give it Fantastic. to them Notice, no duh yeah. because you can't see look Ladies and gentlemen, I'm doing duh. They can't, <laughs> this is they can't see duh. You, you, she's you mouthing, but there is no duh. It's like, look, look, this is this is what you are. Okay. I beg your pardon. Precisely. Right. That says three counties radio. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say something. Yeah, okay. Oh dear. I know people do this to me. <laughs> you better get this right. <laughs> say it again, sorry. You are the one on one of the what? You're wearing a blue jumper. I'm sorry. You She's see, not a lip reader. I'm, I'm hopeless. I only, it's the, as they always say, it, those who can't teach. <laughs> is there a little bit of guesswork in it where you kind of oh, have to fill in yes. the blanks, the, the words yes, that you might yes, miss? Yes, yes, of course it is. Anyway, I was going to say, yes. so I taught deaf children until um, I, was, uh, I had children, yep. roughly speaking, and then I started teaching adults who have gone deaf. Right. And that is an entirely different thing because mm. they've got language. Yeah. When I was teaching children, they hadn't got any words. So you were starting they, from scratch. You realise you have to think in words. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was a different thing. But now I'm ad- talking to adults. They've got all the language in their heads. It's a matter of recognising it. And, you know, people, when people say, oh, I'm deaf, it doesn't mean to say they can't hear anything. Mm. Quite rare to be totally deaf. Quite mm. rare. Mm. But it's a terrible thing when people begin to go deaf it's as if they're losing their personalities mm. the outgoing person the jolly jack chap in the pub life and soul of the party he suddenly finds that he's saying something and everyone looks at him looks at him and says for god's sake we just said that mm. and you get to the point of thinking not i better bother. Not, i better not i better i'm going to make a fool of myself mm. people begin to withdraw and they get sad they lose what they were. The outgoing personality becomes a, a frightened personality, a sad personality, quite often. So what you've been teaching is, is vital, but you, you've, you've lost all your funding for this. Yes. How, how, how has this happened? What, what, what happened? They don't love us anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> they don't care anymore? <laughs> no. Well, what happened was, uh, we were, I first taught for um, the local education authority, mm. um, and then they wanted to put up then they, that was free mm. and then they wanted to put up huge fees and I said that is iniquitous mm. it's like charging people for crutches charging people for for glasses you know so they can see I mean iniquitous and I was so angry I resigned so then I was then I set up I bet myself. you can get very angry at times I, oh yes I, I can sense that you've been very calm right. now but I can feel absolutely right. yeah. so then I set up by myself then the workers education association WEA mm. took, took me over took us over and they did us for about two years, and then we lost their funding as well. And now we're on our own. So how are you surviving? Charm. <laughs> really? No, no, no. I have to. I have to. Now I have to charge fees because right. I need to pay the rent of the rooms where we where we uh, meet. Yep. I need to pay insurance, and I and you know advertising, and me a bit as mm. well. Fair, fair dues. Yes. So what we do now? Thank God, we have had. 
we've had such kind help from people. Mm. For example, um, uh, Waitrose has helped us and various other people like that. Waitrose means that now people who come to the classes, if they can afford the fees, they pay them. Right. If they can't, they pay me what they can, pay us what they can, mm. or they don't pay at all. Mm. And that is wonderful because that's that's quite honestly what I'm about, what How, we're about. A waitress helping you with those little green discs? Yes. Are you one of those? Yes, yes, Oh, yes. I've always wondered if those yes. are actually, if there's any point to those at all, and yes, there is, it's you. Yes, yes. Oh, that's good that that works. Hitchin waitress gave us a large sum of money. Well so done, then. So people, people are coming, and they're ringing me up, and they're saying, ah, oh, but, and I'm saying, don't worry. Mm. If you can't afford it, come anyway. The important thing is that people come and join the class because it's not, of course, people do learn to lip read. I have to say, they do. Yes. But there's also an awful lot of laughing. Yes. An awful lot of caring about each other, which may, again, sound soppy, mm. but it's true. Yep. People make friends, and they're nice to each other, and you've no idea how much... Well, I've got a list here. You've seen it before. At least yes. Your, your chum has seen it before. Um, oh, look this at is, this. They, we made a list of why people come to lip reading class, and that, that's what they said. And these are all things, like that. it's fun, uh, the confidence, uh, ability to deal with situations. These are all things that, that, that make living easier. Worthwhile. You make it worthwhile, don't yes. they? Uh, but uh, just before we go, it, yeah. uh, you, what do you want? Do you want funding from the government? Do you think you should get funding from the government? Well, we we know we uh, you know we've got no money have yep. we no one has any money i think if people we we've we're a sort of unconventional charity we're not a, we have not registered as charities but if people can give us money mm. and it's all very carefully looked after i uh, you know it's all you look very above sensible board, yes absolutely yes. true but it means that we can welcome people you know i know people i know a woman who used to used to work in the garden, and when the when the postman came, she used to hide mm. because she was afraid he might talk to her, wow. and she wouldn't know what he said. Things like Incredible. that. Is all these little stories? People come together, and we laugh and we talk, and actually, people learn to lip read as well. It's wonderful. It's if, so exciting. If people are interested, they think they've got a family member or themselves that yes. might want to get involved. What, have you got a website or something that people uh, can look at? Uh, well, I've got an email. Yes, Mrs. Bruin, like bear. B-R-U-I-N, Mrs. Bruin, mm. at hotmail.com. We'll put it on the Facebook page as well. Absolutely. So that people can have a and look. And I promise I will respond to everybody if I possibly can. Louise, thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely fascinating. Okay. There we go. That's uh, Louise Reed. 08459 455555. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We've been talking about hospitals this morning after a local MP is going to the House of Commons today to express his concerns about the hospitals in Bucks. Well, June has called in. June, don't mention the hospital name, but tell me your story. Oh, good morning, Ian. Um, well, it will be six years. Um, in the, um, you'll have to excuse me, I'm a bit nervous on this one. Um, um, in April, next month, it will be six years. What the situation is, my husband wasn't well for a few days before all this happened. Um... But he wouldn't stay off for work. He's one of those people. Uh, anyway, on the Saturday, which was on the... Um, the he was... I'll get it right. He was 54 on the Good Friday. And the day after, he was getting worse. So I said, right, I'm going to ring a doctor. So I rung an out-of-care agency um, number. Uh, I spoke to a doctor there and explained the situation to her. And she said, it's not life-threatening. It sounds like flu. Just give him blah, 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 and he'll be okay. 
um, not accepting what she was saying and me looking at my husband in the state he was in, I had a go at her and I said, no, I want a doctor out to have a look at my husband. Um, she, she, she said, no, he's, you know, he's 54 and he's not entitled to have a home visit at 54. After a, a, a conflab between us, which I'm not going to go into, wasn't very nice, um, she rung me back and she said, if you get him down to this certain hospital for five o'clock, there will be a doctor that will have a look at him. I said, okay. I managed to ring a taxi, get my husband into the taxi, get him to the hospital at 4.50, booked my husband in and then sat and sat and sat. I kept going over to the desk and talking to one of the nurses, explaining what my husband was like. My husband was bringing green stuff up. There was children sitting in the room, lots of children, because it was the Easter. They said the only thing they could do was give me a sick barrel. So I kept going over to the other side, uh, accident side. We can't do anything. You've got to wait, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, cut the story shortly, Ian. It went on for two hours. Mm. My husband was called into the room, seen a doctor there. He um, told my husband to open his mouth. He put a stick on my husband's tongue. He said, oh, it's a viral infection. Um, can you find a, uh, a chemist open and get these amoxyl? Is he allergic to it? No, I don't want Imoxyl. I want my husband admitted. Look at the state of him. I know my husband. No, 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 no. It's not life-threatening, all this bloody thing. My husband, being the kind, quiet person that he was, says, June, please, let's go home. Let's get the Imoxyl. We got into a taxi, drove all around most of Luton, found a chemist, got the Imoxyl, got home, gave him the Imoxyl. He went to have a lie down. He got up and he collapsed in front of me. That was what, a matter of an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. Right, I wasn't going to take any more instructions from my husband. I rung three nines, I got an ambulance out, we got Paul into hospital, straight into resuscitation. The doctor said to me, we're going to put your hus a tube down your husband, incubate him. June, I really hate to do this, but we're running out of time, so I'm really sorry to rush you along, along a little bit. Yeah, what, what, what the situation was, I uh, wasted two hours if the doctor had, a, you know, got a, a thing into gear beforehand and hadn't wasted all that, the doctor that didn't even take my husband's oxygen level or even put a stethoscope on my husband, just looked down his throat, right, my husband went into, into intensive care, into a coma, and his organs died one after another. In two hours, they took me and my grandson in a room and said, your husband inevitably is going to die. And me and my grandson held on to my husband for nine hours, gave him the life, gave him the last rites. And then I found out that, you know, they're put into a coma, but they can still hear. Yeah. So not only did me and my husband, my grandson go through hell watching every organ die, right? My husband could knew he was dying, but couldn't even move because of these agency doctors. I never took them to court, and I ne they, 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 they just kept saying, "Oh, your your husband had uh, diabetes." He didn't. My doctor came with me. He didn't have diabetes. He was a very healthy man. Two of these doctors had false diagnosis. One couldn't be caring to come out, and the other one couldn't even be caring to do what he should be doing, saving lives. June, I'm really sorry to interrupt. We are out of time, but just, just finally, I'm really sorry to hear your story, and thank you very much for sharing it with us okay. this morning. Um, you blame the hospital for this? No, not the Ellen... OK, well, listen, June, listen, we, we, I think we got the point of the story. Thank you very much uh, for that. And uh, just, of course, no, the, ho the hospitals aren't here to put forward their side of the story. Um, and as June was saying, that she doesn't blame the hospital, so that's, um, that's OK.
But thank you very much for coming on. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Northbound on the M1, one lane is still blocked and there's queuing traffic following an accident. Three cars involved in Newport Bagnell Services and Junction 15 at Northampton. Now also on the A45, that's London Road, slightly out the area heading into Northampton this morning. It is very, very slow following an earlier accident. A motorbike involved there between Junction 15 at the M1 and the Queen Eleanor's roundabouts. Westbound on the A41 lane also blocked with queuing traffic following a broken down lorry between Swakely's roundabouts and the M40. Congestion is back to the Western Avenue at the moment. And on London Midland Services, replacement bus is running between Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey. So do check before you travel this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. We'll do the headlines in a second. But before that... Oh, no, we won't. Let's... Get the weather, shall we, with Elizabeth Rosini? Hello. Hi. Very good morning to you. It certainly is a very frosty start to the day, but we'll see some good spells of sunshine out there for the rest of the morning. A little bit cloudier into the afternoon and um, top temperatures today between 5 and 7 degrees Celsius. That's 45 in Fahrenheit. Just watch out for the odd light shower at times. Could be wintry over the high ground. Not as frequent or as hefty, though, as they were yesterday. Overnight tonight, early frost, and then the cloud will increase. A milder start to the day tomorrow with a few outbreaks of patchy light rain and drizzle and that will set the scene for tomorrow really feeling milder there will be some rain at times particularly tomorrow evening and again into saturday as well but it will turn much colder once more into next week that's the forecast thank you very much and we're back on track it's 8.49. Oh, my goodness. How late are we? People will be fired. It's Thursday, the 14th of March. I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The MP for Wickham will call for greater transparency and accountability within the, within the NHS in Buckinghamshire when he addresses the Commons later. Pope Francis will celebrate his first Mass today as leader of the Roman Catholic Church and begin anointing, uh, appointing senior staff at the Vatican. In sport, the England Rugby Union head coach Stuart Lancaster will name his side for the Six Nations Grand Slam decider against Wales this morning. Coming up, Andy Murray has complained about the grunting from opponent Carlos Berlock as he reached the quarterfinals of the BMP Paribus Open. We've been getting your best tennis grunt impressions all morning and before nine we'll get some more. On Saturday's Three Counties Sports, we give you the choice of another four live commentaries. In the Championship, Watford travelled to struggling Barnsley. Can he finish? Yes, he can! Christian Batokyo! In League One, MK Dons host Tranmere. Whipped in, Chris Wheel. Can't get down, it's in! Try and low again! And Stevenage face title-chasing Sheffield United. Arrows in a low shot. What a great finish that was. Luton are in conference action away to table-topping Wrexham. And it's a great effort from Jake Howes. Plus regular updates from Adams Park as Wickham play Northampton. Three County Sports, Saturday from 2, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, Andy Murray, the uh, tennis player, has complained about the grunting from opponent Carlos Belloc as he reached the quarterfinals of the BNP Paribus Open. He said it put him off. Well, we've got some audio exclusively from that match. Have a listen to this. <laughs> what is that? Well, I've been asking for your best tennis grunts all morning. Here are a few from the very serious and professional Three Counties staff. Listen, I, I, I won't clip it. Let, let's hear your best grunt. No. Are you, refu- are you refusing an order from your superior? Uh, 
Sophie, give us a grunt. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Go, 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 try. <laughs> oh, if I have no voice, uh, I, I will eight. take full responsibility and I'll pay your salary for the rest of the day. Um. Ugh. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the countdown to Justin D. Lee's tennis grunt. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> There you go. How was that? That was rubbish. Do it again. Very, very poor. Dealey's grunt. We're very effeminate. Well, our grunting correspondent has been approaching you, the public, and saying, Oi, give a grunt. <laughs> of all the jobs, Justin, this has got to be one of the... Well, I was going to say, yes. you know, when I joined the BBC, I, I didn't quite see it in my job description, <laughs> yes. You need to go out and gather people's grunts across beds, hearts and bucks, but keep up to the high BBC standards. <laughs> Andy Murray, clearly not happy. No. Uh, that grunt... It was, it was a weird one, that, that one. That guy was taking the mick. I think he was. I think he was having a laugh. So, I've been in beds, hearts and bucks this morning, gathering people's best tennis grunts. It's been an interesting one and Ian, this is what happened. Well, it's a beautiful brisk morning here. Here's somebody about to go and play golf for the morning. Good for you, sir. What's your name and where are you from? I'm Alan from Benjo near Hartford. Alan, you've got a lot of responsibility on your shoulder right now. Can you give us your best grunt? <laughs> Once again? <laughs> Do you feel like you look rather stupid? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, Lorraine, before your grunt, which we're all looking forward to hearing, Andy Murray, you are a big tennis fan. Does he moan too much? What do you think? Yes, he does moan too much. Yeah, when you hear him, does he kind of bring you down? It's just all doom and gloom, isn't it? It's not enjoyable to watch sometimes, yes, because he does a lot of grunting and moaning, yes. OK. Now, what about your grunts? Uh, three, two, one, take it away. Ugh. <laughs> Can we have it once more, please? Ugh. How do you feel now? Better. Thank you. <laughs> well, here's somebody else who is prepared to give us their grunt across beds, hearts and bucks. Sir, what's your name and where are you from? I'm from Neil Watson, Stansted Abbott. OK, Neil. Can we have your best tennis grunt? And make this good. <laughs> wow, what on earth was that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm now going to walk away. I fa- I'm going <laughs> to run away. See you later. Well, this has been great fun this morning. Uh, here's our last contestant, if you like, giving us a grunt. Uh, sir, what's your name? Uh, John. John, OK. Would you like to give us your finest tennis grunt? Yes, I would. OK, take it away. Oh. You see, I wish people could see this, because that wasn't just a grunt. You actually did a pretend serve as well, then. Of course, because yeah. that's the best grunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking this very seriously. Listen, have a good day. Thank you. Dealey, they've made your mm. grunts look pathetic. They have, I have to say. They, they, they took it very seriously. Oh, here's, here's mine again. Uh, oh, there you go. I'll, I'll talk about that later on in, uh, when you get back to the studio, Justin. We need to have a chat. Now, sing Hosanna as the Catholic Church as a new Pope, Jorge Maria Bergoglio of Argentina. He's the first Pope from South America and will be called Pope Francis I. It was just after six o'clock yesterday evening when white smoke poured from the roof of the building. That meant the Cardinals had made their choice. Well, our re- religious affairs reporter, Alex Strangeways Booth, describes the moment. The Cardinals in the Sistine Chapel have chosen the new Pope. The smoke is white. It's taken them two days of voting to come up with the name that they want as the new Pope. And the smoke coming out of the Vatican chimney is white. The crowd has gone absolutely mad. Well, we can join Alex in Rome now. Alex, what's it like there? I mean, it's not not quite unique, but it's a very rare experience. 
I think it is quite unique, actually. Not only have we had a pope who resigned uh, the first one in 600 years, but now we've got the first ever pope from outside Europe. We have a Latin American pope. So it's a real moment of history. And last night was the most extraordinary experience. There were tens of thousands of people in St. Peter's Square. And they hadn't. there was no guarantee that they were going to see the white smoke um, at all. But still, they'd calm in their thousands in the pouring rain. And that upswelling of noise when the white smoke billowed out of the chimney was an extraordinary experience. What are people making of this appointment? Because he was kind of a a rank outsider, wasn't he? Well, he was he was a rank outsider, really, as the, as far as the media and the pundits and the commentators were concerned this time. But actually, what's interesting about him is is it's reported really that he came second to Benedict XVI in the last papal conclave in 2005. So, although we're not supposed to know what goes on in the Sistine Chapel, uh, one Italian journalist said that a, a cardinal had given him all the voting figures, and um, and Francis I, as he is now known, um, it, it had scored very highly and, and come a very close second. So he was a strong contender, but just not a very high-profile one. He arrived on the balcony in uh, very plain robes. Is this a sign of the, the kind of Pope he's going to be? Um... I think so. The Pope always wears those white robes when he comes out onto the balcony for the first time. Those are the traditional robes that he wears. Benedict did, you know, have quite a good line in robes, actually, and was a little bit unusual Mm. in some of the things he chose to wear. Had a good line in hats as well. Um, I I think that he he probably won't have that. He's a a Jesuit priest. He lives a very simple life in Buenos Aires, lives in a a little apartment, gets the bus and the tube to work, um, works with a, a lot of the poorer communities in in Buenos Aires. He has a lot of moral clout in Argentina. So when he gives a sermon which may indirectly criticise the government, for example, about the the lack of attention to the more vulnerable people in society, it gets headlines. So within his own country, he's got quite a high moral authority. Um, He's very orthodox on sexual matters like gay marriage and contraception, but he speaks very strongly about social justice. Alex Strangeways Booth in Rome. Thank you very much indeed. Well, uh, he won't be getting the bus and the tube anymore, will he? We'll be getting the Pope Mobile, of course. And uh, but boy, wasn't it nice when? Do you remember when we used to own the Falklands? <laughs> that was nice. And then we gave it back because that Pope came in. Oh well, never mind. Well, after uh, after nine o'clock, JVS is asking what I think is perhaps the best question I've ever heard him ask. Does the new Pope sound like your kind of guy? <laughs> I think that's such a good question. Well, does he? It's, it's weird. I, f- I found the whole thing absolutely fascinating, and it looked amazing. If you saw it on TV last night, the scenes outside that balcony were absolutely incredible. Um, but there, were, uh, there was a lot of guesswork going on. Well, he looks very serene, the new Pope. Well, after nine, JVS is asking, does the Pope sound like your kind of guy? Right, let's get the travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Heading north on the M1, one lane is blocked and there's queuing traffic following an accident. Three cars involved between Newport Pagnell Services and Junction 15 at Northampton. And also the A45, that's London Road. We have delays there following an earlier accident. Motorbike involved in both directions between at Junction 15 of the M1 and Queen Eleanor's roundabouts. Now westbound on the A40, one lane also closed following a broken down lorry between Swakely's roundabout and the M40. And also looks like we still have replacement bus service running on London Mid. That's been Watford Junction and St Albans Abbey following an earlier train fault. Everything else not looking too bad at the moment. Actually, the rest of the trains are moving nicely on the departure boards. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Thank you, Sophie. Well, there we go. We've covered failing hospitals, lip reading and grunts. What other show would go from hospitals to grunts? Quantum leaps. Back tomorrow at six. JVS is up next. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Thursday. And on today's big phone-in, does the new Pope sound like your kind of guy? Pope Francis will celebrate...